one semester of law school, one semester of criminal justice, two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll be talking about the Boston Massacre. <gasps> and I'll be talking about the disappearance of Alexis Murphy. Norm is in the studio or the sex dungeon. Yep, yep. It's both. It it works as a studio and a sex dungeon. <laughs> Dual purpose yep. room. Good to have you here, Normie. Thank you. Normie C. Normie C, we're so excited that you're here. Yeah. Back from the dead. Alive and well. Yeah, people speculated that I killed you. Uh-huh. Yeah. But this is obvious proof that you are not dead. Could be a deep fake. Um, <laughs> people are now speculating that I have murdered David and buried him next to Norm as well. Because I've done a lot of newlywed murders recently. I mean, you have. (laughs) They're not wrong. The other thing people are speculating is that David and I have secretly gotten married, and that's why I'm doing newlywed cases. That checks out. (laughs) No, we have not. I am here. I'm back to kill the feminist agenda on this podcast. Excellent. Here I am. No, I'm so excited you're here. Yeah, me too. Ooh. Do you want to tell the people why you're here? <laughs> it is uh, my beautiful wife's birthday this week. Mm-hmm. It was November 2nd, so thought, you know what? Let's give her a week off from work. Yeah. I'm going to do a case. It's like a, a birthday gift for you. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And you know what? I thought, ooh, maybe I could take this extra week to like work on a super big case for next week, and I didn't. So Imagine I don't blame you. <laughs> Imagine if people did this in like the corporate world, where like I was just I, like thinking, went in for you. I feel so to your lucky office. that I have a job where like you can literally be like, I'm going to do your job this week. Great, great. <laughs> yeah, but what if I do a terrible job? I well, mean, then we you, won't invite we, you back. We will hear about it. <laughs> yeah. The people will not be shy. That's true. You can do that. Yeah, people do not hold back on the feedback. <laughs> you know You're this. Right. I, yeah, I do, I do know this. <laughs> As someone who was once accused of ruining our feminist agenda. <laughs> well, they were right. Uh, I mean, I guess we should just, like do an ad, right? I think we should. All right, let's talk about... The fall brings a lot of my... You don't have your ad copy up, do you? God damn it. (laughs) What ad are you on? Pretty Litter. Where does it say anything about the fall? Please share or ask co-hosts to share what your favorite fall scents are. (laughs) Fireplace burning, cozy candles, holiday meals, pumpkin, everything all the time. Patty, please include all this. They need to know how unprofessional she is. My God! I'm sorry. (laughs) I am the basicest of bitches and I fucking love false scents. I don't know how to correlate them to cat litter. (laughs) Okay, I also like false sense. Man, I can't. I'm so know, sorry. For as passionate as you are about false sense, I, I can't believe it was that hard to rope you know, into this conversation. I've got 12 false scented candles at home right now. I just bought some the other day. Okay, this is going to be too long, of an, too ad, long of an ad. And we're not even talking about literature. We haven't yet. gotten to the ad yet. Okay, should we do a little Patreon plug? Obviously. Plug-a-roo? Oh, don't you obviously me, ma'am. There have been many a time when you're like, and I'm rolling and into I'm my case. I'm doing my case now. No, 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 of course. Hey, head on over to our Patreon. We've got amazing things there. What do we have? 20 
eight bonus episodes? <laughs> Something like I that. I was going to say seven, but I think it's 28. Is it 28? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's 28. 28 bonus episodes. There's videos there. Um, if you join at the $7 level, you can get in on our monthly Zoom hangouts, which, I mean, I'm a little biased because time. I'm on them, but they're a good time. They are a good time. <laughs> <laughs> and at the $10 level, you get all that stuff from the lower levels, plus you get episodes a day early, you get them ad-free, you get 10% off merch, and uh, that's it. Yeah. We get a whole video archive, too. There's yeah, a ton of videos There's a ton on of there. videos on there. And those Zoom hangouts, if you can't make them live, we record them, and then we post them, and you can watch them. <laughs> that's I don't the way that works. Get <laughs> <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Do you understand what the possibilities are? <laughs> They're endless. The possibilities are endless on our Patreon. Join today. <laughs> wow. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Brandy. You got a All little right. case, case for us? I sure do. Um, Norm, I don't think you're going to like this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> didn't do this one with Norm in mind, huh? Did not. <laughs> I'm just glad we didn't do the same case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, Kristen and I always text each other and let them know, you know, call dibs on cases. And I was, like, about to do that with Norm. And I was like, I don't have to do that. There's not a chance There's in hell no he's way. doing this case. Like, yep. Shout outs to True Crime Daily, which, you're obsessed. you know, uh-huh. it's, a, it's a website I enjoy. But again, no byline. No byline. Don't enjoy that. And then to Lisa Province for Seville.com, which I believe is kind of like a... Pitch type <laughs> website. Okay, but other people don't what know what pitch is. You know, like the pitch. <laughs> yeah, it's already. It's a, it's so, like, our alternative. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which I believe is what Seville Independent is. Independent journalism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Lisa Province did some excellent trial coverage. All right. On this case. Like a daily breakdown. Of I know. That's very helpful, isn't oh, it? So helpful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Kind of nervous because Norm is here. I know. Like I'm a celebrity in the studio. He's so judgy and bitchy. I'm grading you on your case. Are you? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna write a mean review. Oh no! If you mess this up, please don't. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Laura Murphy was hours into her overnight shift at the post office on August 4th, 2013, when she received a call that no parent wants to receive. Did the lights just flicker? Yeah, they did. They did? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's going on? You think there's a ghost in here? Ghost! <laughs> Halloween did just end. Yeah, and the ghost did not leave. The ghost mm-hmm. did not leave. <laughs> Creepy. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> her daughter, 17-year-old Alexis Murphy, had missed her midnight curfew. Her grandmother had awoken in the early morning hours to find that Alexis wasn't home. Alexis was the type of 17-year-old who was so responsible that she had literally never missed curfew before. She was the captain of her high school volleyball team and planned to become a collegiate athlete, and she took her future very seriously. So when Laura got that call, she immediately knew that something was wrong. Laura had talked to Alexis the previous afternoon as she had gotten ready for her overnight shift. Alexis was pumped. She was heading to Lynchburg, Virginia, Mm. which was only about a 20-minute drive from where they lived in Shipman, Virginia. Heard of it? Not familiar with Shipman. Mm -hmm. Familiar with Lynchburg. Yeah, yeah. 
Alexis was a high school senior and was prepping to get her senior pictures taken. Oh. And on that day, August 3rd, her mom had given her money to go buy extensions and to get them installed. This was 2013, you said? Yeah. Were extensions good by then or? Yeah. And so, um. Uh, Alexis is black. Oh, okay, okay. Get, I'm yeah. sorry. I was picturing white girl no, extensions, it, it, which those have come a long <laughs> way, baby. They have come a long way, baby. You're absolutely right. Um, Alexis and her mother had left the house about the same time that afternoon, and Laura headed to work, and Alexa headed to Lynchburg. Alexis was big into social media, and she had a pretty big Twitter following. In that afternoon, she had tweeted, Bergbound, just a little after 3 o'clock that afternoon. When Laura learned that her daughter hadn't returned from that trip, she called Alexis's father, Troy Brown, to see if he had heard from her. But Troy hadn't heard from Alexis either. He was just as worried as Laura was and told her that they needed to call the police and report Alexis missing. Something was wrong. This was not like their daughter. She had never done this before. And on top of everything else, she had borrowed her dad's car that day. She would have never failed to return it, as promised. So Laura and Troy reported Alexis missing to the Nelson County Sheriff's Office. And this is one of those rare, refreshing times when they just, like, went right to work. Okay. Investigating the teenager's disappearance. Like, immediately. So that whole, like... You're, someone has to be missing 24 hours before you report it. That's all BS, right? No, it's not BS. It's not necessarily BS. I think because she's a teenager, that probably played into this more. Why they immediately went to investigate it. With adults, you see that a little bit more. But yeah, it's kind of a jurisdictional call, I mm. think. Like I always see it in movies. Yeah. And it happens. Yeah. A lot. No, nothing I can do for 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you sound like every police That's officer cop, yeah. ever. <laughs> Sorry, lady. It hasn't been 24 hours. So I think part of the reason here that um, this was investigated so heavily, like right away, is partially because of Alexis's heavy social media presence. When word of her disappearance got out, her thousands of social media followers were quick to spread the word and like a search started immediately. Wow. Okay. By the night of August 4th, helicopters were brought in to do an aerial search and the FBI joined the investigation. Wow. Yeah. Like right away. The FBI, well, there must have been something additional. I can't find anything that explained okay. why the FBI joined right away. I don't know. I found no explanation to that. But they were literally the first day of the investigation the FBI joined. Okay. And the FBI quickly released a missing person bulletin for Alexis. It read in part. Norm, you can't type well. I can't? No. Hang on. (laughs) What the fuck? You can't type? No. No. I think I did this last time. You did. And Kristen did this exact same thing. I just, I I thought I had a theory about the FBI and I just wanted to Google something real quick. No, you can't. I mean, if you're listening to a podcast on your own. It doesn't hold up. What was your theory? That they were that Lynchburg was close. Well, I mean, the, yeah, FBI is headquartered in uh-huh. Virginia. I actually thought the same thing, but it's not yeah. close. It's just the same state. Damn. <laughs> okay, my bad. You're I won't type fine. anymore. <laughs> Hold on, I'm just gonna make a grocery list real quick. <laughs> Could you keep it down? I'm working on my novel. Right now. <laughs> I multitask. You're really distracting me with this story. 
Okay, so the FBI <laughs> put out a missing person bulletin, and this is what it read in part. Seeking information. Missing Nelson County, Virginia teen. Alexis Tierra Murphy has been missing since the evening of August 3rd, 2013. Alexis was traveling in a white 2003 Nissan Maxima GLE-SE with Virginia license plate WYN3706. She was wearing a pink blouse, full-length floral print spandex pants, a.k.a. leggings. Yeah, okay. Thank you. I was like, I was honestly trying to picture those, and I was picturing like wide leg yeah. weird things. Yeah. yeah. Okay. row. I mean, it could be. Could you be. never know. Floral print, you don't know. And brown boots. She was carrying a dark and light I'm sorry. colored. Yeah, the dogs. Yeah. Is the mailman here? Your guess is as good as mine. May I show you? I'm getting hot. I'm taking this hoodie off. Do you have Woo. something under it? Woo. No, I don't. What if he did? <laughs> <laughs> Norma, I don't want to see your man nips. <laughs> They're real tiny. No. <laughs> You'll have to squint. You'll have to Give squint. Your glasses. Yeah. <laughs> this is the most confusing part of the bulletin to me. It said, she was carrying a dark and light colored gray purse. What? Dark and light colored gray purse. Those are opposite. <laughs> yes. Like, is it like oh, a patchwork purse thing? Who wrote this bulletin? I don't know. It's someone who's never heard of the word leggings before? Right. Okay. The bulletin included two pictures of Alexis and a picture of the vehicle she was known to be driving. It also gave a physical description of her as a 17-year-old black female standing 5 foot 7 inches tall, weighing 156 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. The bulletin asked for anyone with any information to please contact the authorities immediately and noted that no bit of information was too small. Okay. From here, like the the order of things in the early part of the investigation is a little bit hazy because like every article puts them in a little bit of a different order. My okay. guess is that because a lot of things happened very closely together or kind of at the same time and so the order gets jumbled, but on my list of three things, the first thing was that they found the car Alexis had been driving. It was found abandoned in a movie theater parking lot in Charlottesville, which is not that far from where she lived, but not... The University of Virginia. It, it is located in Charlottesville. It is. <laughs> if you let me finish my sentence... Why are you, you, you just stop? stopped? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so they did a search of surveillance camera footage from the like mall that was like kind of across the street from the movie theater. Oak Park Mall. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> is the mall that is located? Oh, here. I thought I didn't, you know, you were done. I didn't know you were done. I didn't know you were done. Okay. <laughs> You'll never come I'm on not, again. No. He's oh, gonna walk out of, of here before he does a case. <laughs> So they look at that surveillance footage, and it does show a couple of clues, but nothing that was super helpful. The car is seen pulling into the parking lot around 1030 the night that Alexis went missing. You couldn't really see anything, though. Someone was driving it. They got out of it and walked away. But the video was really grainy. They tried to enhance it a bunch. You never could tell. It couldn't tell if it was a man or woman that got out of it. Couldn't tell anything. Mm-hmm. So not a lot of help. And the car showed no signs of Alexis. Like she didn't leave anything behind in it. It was just an empty car. 
Had it been like cleaned out, you mean? or Not necessarily cleaned out, but like her purse wasn't there. Her phone wasn't okay. there. I assume the keys were there. I don't know. What do you know, ma'am? <laughs> what I do know is that number two on my list of three things uh-huh. was that they went to work nailing down Alexis's last known location. Norm, do you have something to say? (laughs) I'm offended. It's about time someone spoke up. Go ahead, Norm. Nope. Everyone, Brandy just burped. I did. And it's inexcusable. I I apologize. Norm's never seen a woman burp before. (laughs) He's married to you. Because he's married to me, exactly. (laughs) He's married to a lady, okay? I bet Norm's walls have shaken from his wife burping. (laughs) It's true. We've got plaster walls. When those shake, it's trouble. <laughs> Our house cannot be insured because of my birth. Because of your birth. That's right. Okay, so they knew that there was this gas station in Lovingston, which is another you know, town right in that same area, that was a local hangout for teens. And Alexis was known to frequent there. And so they went and they looked at the security camera footage of the day that she disappeared to see if she had been there at all. And sure enough, she had been there around 7.15 the evening of August 3rd. She was pictured on the video just coming into the gas station and paying for gas. She seemed totally normal. She was happy. She was laughing. She was talking to people. And then she, like, paid for her gas and then went out to pump it. Something did catch their eye, though, as they watched the footage of her walking out of the store. A man had held the door for her. There was no interaction at Mm -hmm. all between her and him. He just held the door. She hadn't even looked at him. But there was something to investigators about the way he looked at her. Ew. It was odd enough that the detectives committed the man to memory. Not that that was all that difficult, though, because the man had a huge fucking Daffy Duck tattoo on his neck. (laughs) Randy, (laughs) shut up. He had a giant Daffy Duck tattoo on the side of his neck. Wow. No. Huge. Huge neck tat of Daffy Duck. Daffy Duck? Yes. Big fan. Oh, my God. I mean, that's a quite an identifying mark right there. Uh, yeah. They also noticed that he drove, like, this old Chevy Suburban, like the old, like, 70s style one, and that it was painted in a camouflage pattern. Hmm. This man was not blending in. <laughs> or Even though he, he clearly had made an effort. That is... Is, was it like a homemade camouflage? Oh, yeah. Show? Okay. Oh, yeah. Why did I even yeah, ask? This was not, that didn't come off the line that way, <laughs> I don't think this was a paint job Chevy offer. Well, <laughs> he, he was trying to blend in because he had a camouflage. Camouflage. <laughs> was the Daffy Duck, was it well done? Yeah, I didn't see a close up of it. But what I think is the most alarming about this is I've seen a picture of this man. Mm-hmm. I. Don't remember seeing any other tattoos on him. <laughs> His first tattoo. He just tattoo went ever. all in on a Daffy Duck neck tattoo. Wow. <laughs> Is there okay, I'm getting I'm getting stuck on the wrong thing. Okay. 
but there's nothing to Daffy Duck. How do you how do you make a connection to Daffy Duck? I don't know the answer to that. Right? He likes a cartoon. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, he has no real personality. Oh. Daffy has a personality. How dare you? (laughs) Have you never seen his bill spin around his head? (laughs) He's also Duck Dodgers. What? Oh, my gosh. You two. What's what the, the what fuck is Duck Dodgers? His alter ego. He's like the space hero. Oh, yeah, Duck yeah, Dodgers. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. Okay. But this was Rabbit land. season, duck <laughs> season. Right. I believe it. On it's his just neck. Regular old Daffy. <laughs> <laughs> Fuffer and fuck attached. Also, this man's like... I no, wait, is that, is that Sylvester? That's Sylvester. Oh, man. I'm clearly <laughs> not a Daffy fan. How embarrassing. I'm not a Daffy You're fan. You're proving my point. Yeah, there's nothing to Daffy There's Duck. nothing about no. Daffy Duck that's memorable. Sorry. Worth noting also, like, this man, I would put his age at late 50s. <laughs> He's yeah. just like this, like, yeah, 50-something white dude with a big Daffy Duck neck tat. <laughs> I've, I've got to tell you something, and I'm not bragging, but I knew that. <laughs> because, like... That anytime, wasn't a mystery to you? Anytime, no! Anytime you see, like, a Tweety Bird tattoo, <laughs> it's always on some old white person. Yeah, on her... It's on It's on a woman's tit yes, is where it is. Or, like, the Tasmanian Devil. Yeah. Yeah, that's also on... Oh, they, they probably grew up with those cartoons. Well, but who is getting a Tweety Tit tattoo? Brandy, don't be rude. <laughs> Kristen's secret. Everyone, secret I just pulled my boob out. <laughs> what would you, would you shit yourself if I pulled down my shirt to reveal? A, I'd like to shit. I'd like to shit, as they say in the South. You know, I collected Tweety Bird when I was a kid. So to your point, Norm, I've never once wanted a Tweety Bird tattoo. And I very much grew up with Tweety. That's fair. <laughs> okay, so we've got a total weirdo Yeah, on total hands. weirdo. And like weird enough that just standing there holding the door, investigators are like, don't like the look of this guy. Okay, so the third thing on my list in no particular order is that they discovered that Alexis's cell phone was still pinging. It was no longer active, but the location was pinging on it. And it was pinging really close to her last known location, the gas station. So not by the mall? No. Okay. The FBI determined that the phone was pinging in an area just about a mile north of the gas station. Mm. And so the FBI and the Virginia State Police, like, swarmed that area where the ping was. The area was like an abandoned property. There was an old house um, kind of right off of this, like, main rural highway, I believe. And it was really overgrown, this piece of property was. There was really dense vegetation. The way it was described is basically by the time you walk like five feet from the road, you're basically in the shadows because there's so much vegetation. So they get to this piece of property where they've narrowed down this ping is coming from. And as soon as they start to like walk onto the property, they're parked in some overgrown brush was a camouflage no. Chevy Suburban. No. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, 
yeah, definitely saw that car before. Yeah. And then before they know it, here comes this guy stepping out of a camper that's parked on the property. And he's like rushing up to meet him. And he's got a huge fucking Daffy Duck tattoo on his neck. I'd now like to share with you what I thought was the most comical line from this article on True Crime Daily. Investigators believed he was the same man they'd seen on the surveillance <laughs> tape at the gas station. Is this a second man with a Daffy Duck neck tattoo? Could be another guy. We've all seen him. So, yeah, they barely get to this property where they know her cell phone is pinging from, and they see a camouflage Chevy Suburban, and then there's the camper that's on this property, and then, like, a rundown abandoned house. And out of the camper comes this dude that they've already seen on the surveillance cameras. Well, they're not totally sure, Brandy. (laughs) They believe it's the (laughs) same guy. (laughs) And so he comes up and like he's like, hey, hey, what, what, what's going on? What are you guys all doing here? And they like note that this guy's, you know, obviously a weirdo. He has like his camper set up, and he's got like a big security camera on top of his camper, like facing the road. And so he introduces himself. He's like, hey, my name's Randy Taylor. You guys want to come on in, sit down, let's chat. And so they, a couple of detectives, walk into his camper with her, with with him and they're in there for like a minute when one of the detectives notices something in like the carpet on the floor oh no it's like something shiny so this detective like reaches down picks it up with uh, we're gonna say picked it up with a glove Okay. Just, you know, imagining, you know, they take out like one glove they don't even put it on they just Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we've seen movies yeah absolutely and it's a diamond stud earring or nose ring. Okay. And so they just like, mm, bag that up, talk to the guy a little bit. And while they're just kind of like. Does Randy even notice that happening? I don't know if Randy notices it or, or not. But during the time that they are talking to him inside his camper, they also find a bloody fingernail. Oh. And a piece of long black hair. That was consistent with a black female. Uh So the texture of the hair matched. And so they bag that up and they thank him for his time and they leave. But they take that evidence and they send it off for DNA testing. In the meantime, they're like, okay, what... What do we have, like, when he left the gas station? Do we have any footage of that? Did he follow Alexis out of here? And so they look at some different surveillance footage angles, like, from surrounding businesses, I guess. Mm -hmm. And they are able to see Randy Taylor driving away in his camouflage Chevy Suburban. I think they had, like, some kind of special program that was able to, you know, see past the camouflage. Cool. Well, that's why the FBI. That's I, that, that's, I think what that's you exactly get why when the FBI yeah, when gets you get involved. the FBI involved. God. <laughs> well, did they find her cell phone? Okay, so no, on that initial search, they did not find her cell phone. So keep mm. your pants on, yeah. as I would say to Brandy yes. in this right. situation. But they do see him pull away in his Chevy Suburban, and then she follows directly behind him in the white Nissan. Mm-hmm. She follows him. Yes. Yes. Well, that's just a coincidence, right? I mean, she wasn't, like, going anywhere with him, right? Or I don't was, know. She? was she? Why Why would... Ooh. I guess you can keep your fucking pants on. <laughs> oh, 
I yeah. can't. Why would she want to mm-hmm. go anywhere with that guy? Yeah. Big so, Looney Tunes fan. <laughs> Stop. Oh, no. Norm. What? <laughs> okay, so they run DNA tests on that evidence that they've pulled from them. the fingernail, the hair. The hair strand had the bulb attached to it, the root attached to it. Mm-hmm. That means it was ripped out. Mm-hmm. And then they also tested the diamond stud, and all three of those came back matching Alexis's DNA. Okay. Now go in and fuck his shit up. So now they're like, okay, obviously this guy's a suspect now, which again, this article yeah. really spells it out. This is what they say. Once that was a match, it became clear that Randy Taylor was a suspect. <laughs> they don't want to jump the gun. Allegedly. <laughs> and so they go back to his trailer and they have a conversation with him and let him know, like, hey, we found these things in your in your camper. And they have this missing girl's DNA on him. Anything you want to tell us? And he was like, okay, okay. I did see her that night. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what do you mean you saw her? He's like, I ran into her at the gas station, and she was with this guy, this black guy with dreadlocks, and they followed me from the gas station back to my place and sold me weed. Except for the black guy was in camo the whole time because he didn't show up on the surveillance tape. You no, know, don't, don't even worry about that, okay. Kristen. All right, I won't. And they were like, okay, so they came with you here to your camper to sell you weed as just like some guy they ran into at the in the gas station parking lot. Mm-hmm. And he was like, uh-huh, yeah. We had a good time. We hung out for a little while. They were here maybe hour, two, not sure. I left at one point and bought beer, and then I came back and... The guy and I drank, you know, a beer together. And then they left. And and when they left, Alexis was happy. She was smiling. She was laughing. And, uh, yeah. That's the last time I saw her. You know what I do when I meet two people for the first time? I just, like, leave them alone. Leave them alone in my home? While I go and buy some stuff. Right? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, okay, great. Do you have a name for this? mysterious black man with dreadlocks who was in your camper alone the very first time you met him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. His name was uh, Damien Bradley. Damien Bradley. I do like that name, <laughs> even though it's clearly made up. It's actually not made up. What? Damien Bradley was a real person oh. and a person who kind of knew Alexis. He used to work at the gas station. Shut up. Yeah, he worked at the McDonald's that was inside this gas station that was like a local hangout. Wow. Yes. And so they track down this Damien Bradley, and they're like, a little bit suspicious because this guy has skipped town. He's moved to Birmingham. Wow. Yeah, and they're like, okay, this does look like a little suspicious, so they track down Damien Bradley, and they're like, you know, they do the thing where they, like, shine the light in his face, and they're like, where were you on the evening of August 3rd, mm-hmm. 2013? Mm-hmm. Wow. And he was like, I was um, with my dad and my girlfriend in Alabama. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, you were, were you? 
And then it turns out that his alibi was like airtight. And there was no chance that he was anywhere near the gas station or Randy Taylor's camper that night. And they were like, okay, well, this whole fucking story is made up. Hmm. Do you think Randy made that story up? I think Randy did make that story up. <laughs> I and always like, trust a guy with a Daffy Duck neck tattoo. Well, and like this comes out later, but it turns out that Randy was just like this creepy guy that hung around the gas station like for hours at a time and just like stared at everybody. So Ooh. he knew enough to be like, oh, this guy does at least kind of know this girl. Imagine oh. if he if he was like, yeah, his name was Bob Marley. <laughs> <laughs> so All now, right, buddy. Yeah. So now investigators are like, great, we have the DNA and we know that Randy has made up this complete story. And so they place him under arrest and charge him with abducting Alexis Murphy. When they report this information to Alexis's family, they like show them a picture of Randy Taylor. They give them the name and they're like, no, no idea who that is. Yeah. And so then they show him a picture and Alexis's aunt, Trina Murphy, was like, oh, my gosh, I know that guy. What? He had worked at the dealership that she had bought a car from. And, like, Alexis had been with her. And he had been the one to give them the keys to the car they bought. Shut up. Yeah. But he's just such a memorable person yes. that she was like, yes, I remember him I from just that remem- small well, he transaction. A giant, well, yeah. He has a giant Daffy Duck tattoo on his neck. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is good advice for creeps. If you're going to be a creep, don't have such a fucking identifiable tattoo. Right. So at this point, they're like, okay, Randy has done something to Alexis, but there's still no sign of her and they don't know really what is going on and they don't know who randy is and so they start asking around town and this is when they find out that like yeah he's the creep who just like hangs out at the gas station he'll like park in the back of the lot and just like no watch people Mm. as they go in and out for hours and then every now and again he'd come in and buy a buy a pack of palm malls like every small town's got got one of those guys yeah got a gas station creep gas station creepo yeah Don't you remember when we used to ride our bikes to the gas station Uh when we were camping and your dad would always be like, watch out for yahoos. Oh, yeah. You know what? Um, Randy Taylor is a yahoo. Yeah. It's funny. I've... You're kind of blowing my mind right now because Yahoo back in the day was just kind of like, oh, Yahoo, whatever. Yeah. Now I'm like, oh, my dad was saying, watch out for pedophiles. Yes. <laughs> watch, out, watch out for the gas station creeper that every town has. Yep. Can you tell us about your gas station creeper? <laughs> he can't because it was him. <laughs> well, you see, I'd sit out there. What does the gas station think about this? Well, what can you do? You can't run the creeper off. Sure you can. He's buying cigarettes. He's buying, he's buying a pack he's of paying customer every now and yeah, again. Yeah, but you're creeping out everybody who comes in, so maybe people don't want to come to your gas station. No. I think it's just like that thing that people don't really consider it that big of a threat. They're just like, oh, yeah, that's Randy the Creeper. Boy. <laughs> Our resident creeper. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think people write off creepy people like that all the time. I mean, that is why I became friends with you, because I was like, someone has to be her friend. (laughs) You ass. (laughs) (laughs) So they find this out, and then, like, word gets out that they're trying to investigate this Randy Taylor guy, and they get a call from, like, the clerk at the porn store in town. Wow. (laughs) He's like, yeah, 
Randy is a regular customer of ours. In fact, you know, he had been here that night just before he'd gone to the gas station and he bought two pornos. Daffy Duck does Dallas. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I do know the name of one of them. You have to tell us. Mexican Pussy. That's the name That's of it? That's the name of the porn. They were not creative porn names. No. I can't I remember mean, the other I mean, I guess you get the gist of what it's about. <laughs> or what it is, not really what it's <laughs> about. about. Yeah, that doesn't tell me it anything about the plot, It doesn't Norm. tell me the plot. That's true. <laughs> I don't know anything about the plot. <laughs> Man. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so now they're like, again, this is, I think... Okay, I sometimes think, and again, I'm not shitting on my source. I think you are shitting on your source. But I think sometimes they put in these, like, paragraphs that are just kind of filler. Mm -hmm. And, like, surely no one is investigating this and really thinking this, right? Because at this point they're like, well, when we got that call from the worker at the porn shop, we thought, huh, maybe there's a sexual motivation here. Hmm. But even then... A lot of people watch porn, and they're not going to, like, abduct some ro- someone from a gas station. Well, yes. <laughs> so I, even then, I don't know that I'm totally on board with that. Now, if you're buying, paying for porn in 2013, then you should be investigated for that reason alone. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, this guy lived in a camper on, a, like, a abandoned property, so I think maybe so his wi wasn't great. Wait a minute. Yeah. If he was buying porn... Uh-huh. And he lived in a camper. Do you think he was whacking in his camper? <laughs> I do. I was like, where is Where's he going? going? Oh, yes. finally. Yes, yeah, I do. That's that's the whole reason Brady told this case, was so that you could do your Hank Hill impression. Officer, Randy was whacking in his camper. <laughs> oh, And so now... According to this source material, Mm -hmm. the federal agents were like, you know what we need to do? We got to take another look at that camper. And so they got a search warrant because Randy's in custody, but they've only charged him with abduction at this point. Mm -hmm. And they still don't know where Alexis is. And so they go back to his camper. They get a search warrant. They go back to his camper and they do like a seven hour search of the camper. That had to be disgusting. I am sure that it was. And mm-hmm. on this search, they find a teaspoon. <laughs> what? what? Oh, I'm not familiar. A, a teaspoon? A t-shirt. Okay. T-shirt. Okay. They found a t-shirt, and it was balled up and, like, shoved under the couch. And then it had, like, a set of artificial eyelashes kind of balled oh. up with it. And then they found black hair extensions. The shirt was the same shirt that Randy Taylor had been wearing in the surveillance oh, video God. from that day. Fuck. Only now there was a big stain on the back of it, and that stain was determined to be blood. Yeah. They did a DNA test on the hair, the eyelashes, and the blood, and it all matched Alexis. But... They still hadn't found Alexis's cell phone, and they knew it had been there in that area. So I think this is kind of cool. I'd never heard of this before. They brought in these canine units from the Department of Corrections that are specifically trained to find cell phones. Oh. You know, because people smuggle cell phones into prisons. Yeah, yeah. And so there are 
cell phone finding canines. Okay. So they brought them in and they found Alexis's shattered iPhone on the property. One article said it was found 15 feet from Randy Taylor's camper. Another article, which was like actual trial testimony, mm-hmm. said it was found 70 feet. Those are very different numbers. I know. From the camper. Surely it would have to be 70 feet because yeah, 15 if it's 15 feet, they feet ar- I'd be like, why'd you bring the dogs out for this? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I think it has to be the 70 feet. And also, like, there was, like, a lot of heavy brush in the area, mm-hmm. lots, of ve- lots of vegetation, and it was found, like, <laughs> under that. Was there vegetation? There was vegetation. And the phone had been completely destroyed. Like, it had been smashed. The battery had been pulled out of it. Like, the cables that are inside that connect the battery had been ripped out. There was no salvaging this phone at all. They could not recover any information from the phone. Do you think the dogs can sniff out particular brands of phones? Like it was like, this is the Apple iPhone dog. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. We get the T-Mobile dog. (laughs) I bet the Nokia dog doesn't get a lot of work anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So the discovery... (laughs) Randy's like, this is stupid. I'm moving on. <laughs> Norm, I'd like to talk more about the, the, Nokia, the Nokia dogs. The Nokia yeah. dog. Nokia sniffing dog. Yeah. Now he mostly just sits in the recliner and drinks Knees all day because he's got nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of depressing. But you it know what? They're going to need him again one day. Well, yeah, but and he'll and he's going to say, no, I don't work anymore. Say, I don't do that anymore. I'm retired. <laughs> I don't do this no more. <laughs> Please, Nokia dog. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one who can help <laughs> This perp had a Nokia phone <laughs> He thought he could get away with There's it There's only one dog <laughs> Who can sniff this out I don't do that stuff no more <laughs> Alright continue Brandy I'm sorry Anyway <laughs> The discovery of Alexis's phone Was particularly hard for her family because Alexis was glued to her phone. She Mm -hmm. was always on social media. She always had her phone. So the fact that it was found at Randy's property meant that she hadn't left there alive. There was no way. Yeah. For five months, authorities searched for Alexis Murphy, but the search... This makes me so angry because, dude... They found evidence that she was there. Yeah. They found her blood there. Just tell them what you did with her body. Yeah. No. This whole time he's like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. She left. She left here. She was happy. She was laughing. She was with Damian Bradley or whatever his Mm -hmm. name was. Bob Marley. Bob Marley. (laughs) But the search continues and it found nothing. There was no sign of Alexis. Finally, the prosecutor made a bold move. He decided to charge Randy Taylor with the murder of Alexis Murphy, despite the fact that they did not have her body. That is a bold move. I think you've got enough, though. Yeah. And at this point, her family's just being tortured. Exactly. Exactly. But without a body? You, I mean, they, they do it. It's not ideal. But, yeah, like, it her was, blood was found in his camper. There's footage of her yeah. leaving, you know, with him. Mm-hmm. They found her extensions in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was unprecedented. There had only been, to this point, only two 
cases ever tried in Virginia without a body. But the prosecutor, Anthony Martin, said we should not. He has not- a Daffy Duck <laughs> neck tattoo. <laughs> and that was all he said at that press conference. And yeah, people were like, and they were okay. like, oh, okay, yeah. okay. Now, he said we should not reward a person by not charging them with murder just because they are good at hiding the body. I agree. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And again, her poor family. Yes. Ugh. Randy Taylor pled not guilty. Of course he did. And his murder trial began on May 2nd, 2014. So he was given a public defender. The public defender made a bunch of motions to try and get, like, a bunch of evidence thrown out. None of them were successful. I believe he tried to get a change of venue. Was not successful. Just because Alexis's case had garnered a lot of attention. Yeah. Because... She was this cute seventeen-year-old. She had a big social media yeah. presence. Like it, her body was still missing. Yeah. In his opening statement, Anthony Martin told the jury all about the physical evidence that had been found in Randy Taylor's tramper. <laughs> camper. <Or> camper. <laughs> I, tramper, camper. It's like a trailer slash camper. I was thinking he was tramper size. <laughs> I'll thank you never to bring that up again, Kristen. Nor did you know that one time Brandy signed up for a tramper size class. Tramper size. Yeah, I went to tramper size, um, <laughs> which is like an aerobics class that takes place at one of those trampoline parks. Oh. Sounds super fun, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I thought so too. But it turns out I went to an advanced class and it was all like 16-year-old cheerleaders <laughs> and me. And they're like practically touching the fucking ceiling and I'm oh. like, "Did I get off the did I get off the trampoline? Did I catch some air?" And so, I made it exactly 7 minutes and then I said I was going to go get a drink of water and I left. <laughs> how, how old were you? 30 years old. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> no, probably not. But I was probably, yeah, about that. Between 28 and 30. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was horrible. And the guy, the guy that was teaching the class, he knew what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course. I was like, I'm just going to go get a drink of water real quick. And he was like, okay. And then I like walked down. Because you have to like walk down the stairs off the trampolines. And he like poked his head around. He's like, now come back. No, he didn't. Yeah. That, that tool bag. Yes. I was like, fuck off. Yeah. You see, I'm not a high school gymnast. Get away from me. <laughs> so anyway, it turns out that the prosecutor laid out the evidence that had been found in Randy Taylor's camper. Oh. They had found Alexis's blood in there, her torn fingernail, her hair with the roots still attached. But Randy's defense attorney, Michael Hallahan, was like, hey, there's just too much reasonable doubt here. No, not really. They don't even have a body. They don't even have proof that a murder occurred. I mean, they kind of do, though. Yeah. Yes, I think Mm. they absolutely (laughs) do. Testimony started with Alexis's family members. Her mom got on the stand and she talked about how Alexis was a happy teenager. She was about to like go through her senior year. She was the captain of the volleyball team. She had gotten a job that she was doing really well at, at kid to kid in Charlottesville. I would assume it was some kind of daycare facility. I don't really know. She was doing really well there. She'd just gotten a raise. 
And she talked about how that day she had given her money to go buy hair extensions because she was getting her senior pictures taken and she was supposed to get her hair done. And she said she talked about the the phone, how the phone had been found on Randy's property. She said Alexis was never, never without her iPhone. She was obviously very emotional during her testimony. And she said, that was the last day I saw my daughter. Mm. Alexis's grandmother, Gail Taylor, testified. She was the one who had woken up in the middle of the night and realized that Alexis wasn't there. Um, And she, too, talked about how excited Alexis was that day to go get her hair done, get her extensions put in. And that it was completely out of the norm for her not to come home. Everybody had immediately known that something was wrong. Yeah. She said that Alexis was a scared kind of person who always called home several times when she like just to let them know like hey, this is where I am. This is where I am. This is when I'm going to be home. Mm-hmm. She said that she'd left the light on for Alexis that night and that When she woke up in the middle of the night, she saw that the light was still on. She immediately knew that something was wrong. The employee from the porn store, which was called Ultimate Bliss. Mm. I like that name for a porn store. That's good. Testified that Randy was a regular there. And uh, on that day, August 3rd, he'd been in at about 5.20 p.m. And he'd purchased two videos a doll's house. No, what? And Mexican pussy. Oh, a doll's house was the name of the name. Yeah, yeah. no, he sorry. didn't purchase a doll. I don't think they sell doll houses. <laughs> I was so grossed out. I was like, no. Uh, two employees from the gas station testified that Randy was the gas station creeper. He was there very regularly, sat in the parking lot, and, quote, gawked at the teenage girls who came into the gas station after school. Okay, I still maintain that if this is your business, you have to get rid of the creepers. I think this happens all the time. I know it happens all the time. Yeah. But I think it's part of your job to get rid of the creepers. Yeah. If nothing else from a business standpoint... It's bad for business to have a fucking creep sitting there. Yeah. Creeping everybody out. Absolutely. Bad for business. Melissa Jarrell, who was the employee who had been working on the evening of August 3rd, testified that he would sit there for hours watching everybody and that he was the last person you'd want to be alone with. She testified that on that night, August 3rd, that she watched Alexis walk across the parking lot and she saw her turn her head as if someone had spoken to her. And then she watched as she walked over to Randy Taylor's car and they spoke for a brief moment. Mm. And then the prosecution played for the jury the video of the two cars pulling out of the parking lot together one right after the other. I wonder what the hell he said Mm -hmm. to her to get her to follow him. Yeah. So, and we don't really know. um, And even in his closing argument, the prosecutor says, I can't tell you. Of course not. I can't tell you how Randy got her. he's not admitting that he killed her, there's no way he's going to be like, and this is what I said to lure her back to my tramper size or whatever. The belief is that he 
offered her weed. Sure. And this, like, there was this big whole thing about how, oh, I thought she was this great 17-year-old girl, but she's smoking weed. And this guy was able to lure her back to his camper by offering her weed. Yeah, she's So like, what if he was? Yeah, she's like any other... It, yes. I mean, somebody offers me weed, I might. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the parent, like, that came out during the investigation, and the parents had to, like, make a statement and be like, okay, she's not perfect. She's a teenager, yeah. but she was a great girl. Yeah. Like, okay, maybe she smoked weed occasionally, but that doesn't mean, like, she asked for this. Right. Better be the perfect victim... Yeah. Otherwise, fuck you, right? Exactly. Good Lord. Yeah. A couple of FBI agents testified about how they searched Randy Taylor's camper. And one of them, a female agent, talked about how uncomfortable she had been in his presence. Mm -hmm. And he just stared at her the entire time. Yeah. On cross-examination, ugh. Fucking Randy's defense attorney talked about how, oh, so um, the agents searched this camper for over, I don't know, a couple of hours the first time and then seven hours the second time. And it took until the second time to find that balled up T-shirt under the couch. How did they miss that on the first search of his of his trailer or his camper? And then he said... What I submit is that in that initial search, that T-shirt and Alexis Taylor's hair and eyelashes weren't there. Planted, huh? Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's what he, yeah, that's what he argued in court, that the FBI had planted that evidence. I'm sure he has evidence of that happening. Well, yeah, there's no evidence of that. Well, why wouldn't? So everything was planted then. Well, no, no. So that's just it. The first search was a just like a preliminary search and an interrogation of Randy Taylor. They didn't do a thorough search until they got a search warrant. Okay. And that's when they found that stuff during a thorough search. So the hair that had been ripped out by the root, he's the defense attorney might would argue like that just happened while that they just, were hanging that, out. No, when he when she was alone in the camper with Damian Bradley. Oh, mm-hmm. we're still sticking to that. Yeah, because Randy left and went and bought beer. Right. Who though, knows? Even though Damien had the alibi, who knows what happened in there when he was gone? Okay. Who knows? <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, not yeah. a great defense. Gotta mm-hmm. say. So up till the trial, it had kind of been a mystery how Alexis's car had ended up in that movie theater parking lot. But at the trial, the prosecution was able to put forward some evidence of how it wound up there and tie it to Randy Taylor. I was going to ask that. Like, yeah. Why was her car in the movie theater parking lot? So they pull up. Um, so the prosecution played surveillance video from a, a nearby business, an armed forces recruiting station that showed the Nissan appearing in the parking lot somewhere around 1030. And then they put a witness on the stand a bartender named Jerry Madison Jr. who testified that he was working at Applebee's, which was like right down the street Mm -hmm. at 10 p.m. that night. And that sometime between 10 and 10.30, Randy Taylor had showed up at Applebee's. He was all sweaty. He was aggravated. And he 
sat on at the bar, ordered two Heinekens, and said his buddy was passed out outside. But nobody oh, ever came in with him. No, nobody ever joined him. And then after he'd sat there for a few minutes, he asked the bartender to call him a cab. So he drove the car. He drove the car. Mm-hmm. He left it at the, yeah, at the movie theater parking lot, walked down to Applebee's and had them call him a cab. Ugh. The cab driver testified that he drove Randy Taylor out to Woods Mill, which is an area about three miles north of where his camper is. Hmm. He didn't drop him at his property. That's what? Yes. Yeah. What, did he walk home? I don't know. But if you weren't up to anything suspicious, why wouldn't you have... Why wouldn't you just go home? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. So, when it was the defense's turn to present their case, they attempted to put forth a theory that Alexis had been human trafficked. They called an agent from the FBI child abduction raid response team and asked him a question about sex trafficking. But the prosecution objected immediately and the judge sustained the objection and the witness was dis- dismissed without answering any questions. Well, yeah, because was there any evidence no! that that's what happened? Yeah, no! so get out of here. And so there was this big argument. The jury was, like, asked to leave the room. There was this big argument. And the defense attorney was like, I want trafficking on the record. And mm. the judge was like, no, <laughs> absolutely it not. It doesn't apply here <laughs> at all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> During closing arguments, both sides agreed on one thing. Randy Taylor was a liar. Randy's attorney said, you know what? Randy Taylor is not charged with lying to the police or smoking marijuana or driving on a suspended license. Yeah. He lied to investigators repeatedly. You can suspect he's guilty of something, but that's not beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm. That's a pretty weak argument. Yeah. I don't think that's good. Mm. My client is full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) In their closing arguments, the prosecution said, when it comes down to it, only two people know what happened in that camper Saturday August 3rd, between 7.17 and 7.30. One of them is here. That's the defendant, Randy Taylor. The other has been silenced. Mm. The prosecutor referred to the testimony of family and friends who had said, you know, Alexis was this rising star senior. She was happy in her life. She was looking forward to going to college. He said, All of that changed when she walked across the parking lot of the Liberty gas station and that man held the door for her. And then he went on to talk about how Randy Taylor had lied to investigators through the whole thing. He said he thought he could fast talk his way out of this. He tried the oldest trick in the book. Blame it on someone else. And he Mm -hmm. dragged in poor Damian Bradley. The prosecutor went on to admit that he didn't know why Alexis had gone to Randy's camper that night. He said, yeah, it could have been drugs, but that is abduction by deception. Yeah. That does not change the outcome. The prosecutor described Randy Taylor as a hunter looking for prey. She was seized and detained by him as soon as she got on that property, like a deer hunter. The one thing that could have saved her was her cell phone. 
The biggest problem in Randy Taylor's story, he continued, and it is a story, is that she left alone and was fine. Is it reasonable for her to leave without her hair extension, her nail, her blood, her cell phone? He reminded the jury that it was not necessary to produce Alexis's body for a homicide conviction. And he repeatedly used the word child to yeah. describe Alexis. She was she was a child. Mm-hmm. He said, Randy Taylor wants you to reward him for disposing of the body. In an hour-long closing argument from the defense attorney, Hallahan, he said, there's no proof or evidence of her death. And he insisted that police had the wrong man when there was clear evidence that a third party was present that night. I'd love to hear yeah, that Yeah, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? He used Alexis's family's testimony against them in his closing argument, saying they told you themselves that she never would have gone to a strange man's home by herself. Oh, so they don't know shit about her? Is that the point? Or that's proof that somebody else was there. Somebody else got her to go to that house that night to go to that camper. That's a good point, though. I think it's a good argument. Mm-hmm. I do. And I do. In a situation where your client clearly did it, mm-hmm. that's kind of the only thing you can argue. Yeah. He also said um, that the testimony from the porn store clerk was proof that abduction or killing was the furthest thing from Randy Taylor's mind that <laughs> night. Oh, wow. <laughs> He just wanted to watch some porn and, and he wanted to whack he in his camper. To whack it in his camper. <laughs> okay, I have to say, I don't think that the porn store thing is super relevant at all. I don't either. I think it's kind of just to shock everybody. Yeah. Um, but no, that's not proof that it's the last thing in his right. <laughs> this poor guy just wanted to whack it in his camper to Mexican pussy and a doll's house. As long as it's not a physical dollhouse, apparently I'm fine. <laughs> he also, Kristen, you're going to like this. Let's hear it. Questioned the testimony from the cashiers at the gas station. If they were so creeped out by Randy Taylor, mm-hmm. why had they never called the police before? Oh, people don't call the police on creeps all the time. Exactly. But I think they should. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think a business has an obligation to... Mm-hmm. Get rid of some of the creeps that are hanging around. Yeah. Um, in some kind of last-ditch effort to try and get in his sex trafficking theory. <laughs> um, sneak it in? He did. He said, you know what? We don't really know what happened here. Did he just, like, wheel in a TV and put on Taken? <laughs> he said, what if someone paid him $10,000 to kidnap Alexis... And ship her overseas. Did Randy what? say that's what happened? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What if that's what happened? You ever think of that? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Are we just shouting out random theories now? <laughs> Aliens, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He finished by saying, 
you're going to find there's not enough beyond a reasonable doubt. You may not like him, but that's not enough to convict him. In their rebuttal, the prosecution uh, was fired up. They put up like a like a whiteboard presentation of like Randy's lies and listed them all out. Mm-hmm. And then they opened the evidence bags and pulled out Alexis's bloody fingernail oh. and held it up for the jury and said, no abduction, no murder. While holding up like the bloody evidence. Yeah. Yeah. And then they finished by saying, evil triumphs when people do nothing. Don't let evil triumph. This trial only lasted like five days. It was pretty quick. And the jury of five men and seven women found Randy Taylor guilty guilty of first degree murder and abduction with the intent to defile. So he's found guilty. His sentencing is scheduled, you know, for like a couple months out. And then something happened. They found her body. Nope. He died. Nope. Two. She had been sex trafficked. <laughs> <laughs> Liam Neeson found her. <laughs> no. Two months after Randy Taylor's murder conviction, a suspected serial killer in the area made headlines. His name was Jesse Matthew, and he happened to be a large black man with dreadlocks. The same description Randy Taylor gave police of the man he claimed had come to his camper with Alexis Murphy the day she disappeared. Okay. Huh. So Jesse Matthews was charged with the abduction and murder of two women from the area, Morgan Harrington and Hannah Graham. Both girls went missing out of Charlottesville, which is the same area where Alexis had disappeared. And the police and prosecutors were shitting their fucking pants. Yeah. They were like, is it possible that we just convicted the wrong man? Mm-hmm. Probably no, because of the bloody fingernail and all. And he showed up at Applebee's sweating. Right. <laughs> so they did like a real quick like cross-examination of their case against like the Jesse Matthews case. They did a mm-hmm. DNA like comparison and they were able to definitively exclude Jesse Matthew as a possible suspect in Alexis Murphy's death. Whew. How how do you know? Were they was he off killing somebody else? At the no, time so what? they were. So they had some DNA samples apparently from the scene that had never been tested. Okay, um, but they came back as Randy's, not okay. Jesse's. There was no sign that Jesse Murphy, or I'm sorry, that Jesse Matthew had ever had any contact with Alexis. Had had any mm-hmm. been anywhere near the trailer? It just was purely a coincidence that there was yeah. a serial killer operating in that same area at this time. Okay. So now it's time for Randy Taylor to be sentenced. And all of this time, he'd been, you know, maintaining his innocence. And then, right before sentencing, he makes a play to try and get a reduced sentence. Mm -hmm. He's like, hey, hey. I'll tell you where the body is. How about I tell you where the body is? Mm -hmm. And in exchange, you sentence me to 20 years in prison. 20 years? Yeah, which he was going to be sentenced to two life sentences. Yes, absolutely. 
And so the prosecutors, like, bring this to Alexis's family. No. And they want nothing more than to give Alexis, like, the proper burial. I know. They say no. They said no to the deal. Yeah. They're like, we will find her. We know we will find her. Yeah. But this man has to go to prison for the rest of his life. Yeah. And so they turn the deal down. I I wouldn't have blamed them if they took the deal. I wouldn't have either. No, I can't imagine not knowing. Well, and the defense tried to do a thing where they're like, hey, this guy's already, you know, so old that like 20 years, that's practically a life sentence, right? His health's not even that great. And like, do you guys see that Daffy Duck tattoo? (laughs) 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 And they were like, no, two life sentences, please. Yeah. Yeah. And so he was sentenced to two life sentences. And this meant that he went to prison and he kept the location of Alexis's body to himself. The family made a statement after this saying, like, it wasn't a question to them because they felt if he ever had a chance to get out of prison, he would do this again. Yeah. And they thought that he'd already done it before. So it turns out that Randy Taylor was a person of interest in another missing persons case. A 19-year-old went missing from the town of Orange, which is just like 30 miles from Charlottesville. She went missing in 2010. Her name was, did I say her name? Mm-mm. Okay, her name was Samantha Clark, and she has never been found. Wow. The last person she spoke to before she went missing was Randy Taylor. Yeah, Alexis's family did an amazing selfless thing. Absolutely, By they saying, did. no, he's just going to rot. Mm-hmm. So when this information came out that he was a person of interest, he had lived in the same um, trailer park Mm -hmm. as Samantha at the time of her disappearance. And when this came out, there was all this talk about how that case was cold and how, you know, no one was really doing anything about it. And so the orange police chief, Jim Fenwick, came forward and he was like, no, this case is very much still being investigated. And we know that Randy Taylor is involved and we Mm -hmm. fully expect to charge him at some point. The police chief said that Randy Taylor is very much currently considered a person of interest in the Samantha Clark case. They plan to charge him at some point and move forward with it. And if convicted, Randy Taylor could face the death penalty. But this left Alexis's family still not knowing where her remains were. They searched for her, but there was really nothing to go on. And then in December of 2020, (gasps) Randy Taylor finally led the police to her remains. Wow. So they were located on private property in Nelson County, which is the county that she disappeared in. The investigators said that they did not negotiate with Randy to get him to lead them to her remains. But they did sign a transfer order for him. He wanted to transfer to a different prison. And they granted him that. Well, that is negotiating. I agree that's negotiating. Yeah. But but oh, yeah. probably worth the, yeah. worth the outcome. So her body was located December 3rd, 2020. Um, the announcement of the discovery was not made until March of 2021. This gave time for a positive identification. And it gave Alexis's family the time they needed to finally give Alexis a proper burial. Yeah. 
Alexis's family released a statement at the time that it became public that her remains had been found. They said, Our family is so grateful for the continuing love, support, and prayers for Alexis and our family over the past seven years. While we have been grieving the loss of Alexis since 2013, we had remained hopeful that she would be found alive and well. Alexis was the fashionista, athlete, and joker of our family. We were blessed to have loved her for 17 years, and her memory will continue to live on through all of us. Our family would like to extend a heartfelt thanks and sincere gratitude to the citizens of Nelson County, the FBI, the Virginia State Police, the Nelson County Sheriff's Office, and all of the search and rescue teams for your commitment and unwavering support to find Alexis. You all kept the promise you made in 2013 to bring Alexis home. Hmm. And that's the story of the disappearance of Alexis Murphy. Oh, gosh, that's so sad. Yeah. So that serial killer guy, uh-huh. um, he was convicted of two murders. Um, and it just, they also think that Randy Taylor's likely a serial killer. And they I, just like yeah. happen to be operating in overlapping areas. Well, yeah, there's not like a serial killer, you know, no, like, this is my jurisdiction. Yeah, yeah <laughs> probably not. I'm the creep at this gas right. station, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. But... Samantha has still never been found. Samantha right? has not been found. They completely believe that Randy is responsible for her death. And who, to, the, to date, no charges have been filed against him for, for her disappearance or death. Hmm. Yeah, so I did just a, a quick read into that. She yeah. went missing in 2010. They lived in the same trailer court at the time. And she, he called her right before she went missing and asked her to meet up with him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. (sighs) Yep. That was uh, that was terrible. That was terrible. Yes. That was a case that Norman would never do. Yep. Never. (laughs) (laughs) I one hundred percent knew there was no chance of overlap there, Norm. (laughs) Gosh, her poor family. I know. I know. Ugh. Ugh. That's got to be so horrifying to have a child that, like, comes home mm-hmm. on time, yeah. all the time, you know, has yeah. a bright future, Absolutely. real excited about the future, and then they just don't come home. Yeah. yeah. That's got to be horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, immediately you would think something horrible happened. Yeah. All right. Tell us about a massacre. <laughs> So you thought you could you come thought. on here and tell us about a massacre, huh? All right, Brandy and Kristen. <sighs> I am curious. What's the oldest case you guys have done? Old. Yeah, very Real old. old. You're not going to blow no. anyone. I'm talking like cavemen? No. But like we've done 1700s, 1700s yeah. quite a few mm-hmm. times. Okay. Yeah. Maybe 1600s. Have we done 1600s? Mm-hmm. 1700s All right, well, the oldest we've gone. This one's pretty old. What is it? What? Yeah. How old is it? How old is it? (laughs) This took place in 1770. Oh. But before we get into this. Revolutionary War? Pre-Revolutionary War. Oh, shit. There was no country yet. Oh. I mean, it was here. I'm going to be doing some great British accents during this case, by the way. (laughs) Turn it off now. In honor of Kristen's birthday. Okay. So... One of my favorite interpretations of history comes from historian Carl Becker, and he said that history 
is the memory of things said and done. Mm, okay. Yeah. And in many ways, this applies to trials as well. Yeah. Because when you have a witness come up, they tell their version of events from the past. And so I thought, well, let's combine history. Let's combine trials. And let's talk about an event that happened in U.S. history that has kind of been interpreted differently throughout Ooh. the years. And that's the Boston Massacre. Oh, I feel like I know a little bit about... Oh, I was going to ask both of you. Kristen, you lived Shit. in Boston. <laughs> I for was there for the drinking. many, many years. Uh-huh. Which is like four years. Yes. <laughs> what do you know about the Boston Massacre? Okay, I have a name in my head, but is it... I don't know that it's... <laughs> is it Nathaniel? Yeah, Hale. Nathaniel Hale. Is that not right? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, then I'm not. I don't. I know nothing about the Boston Massacre. It turns out. Who's Nathaniel Hale? Was the shot heard round the world, Norman? Mm, nope. <laughs> <laughs> what are we thinking of? Uh, what is the shot heard round the world? That sounds familiar. I thought it was the Boston from the Boston Massacre. <laughs> I gotta. I'm gonna go what if I just quick. schooled you? Oh, it's Nathan Hale. Not Nathaniel. Oh, Hale. that's that's the Battle of Lexington and Concord. That's, that's that was yeah, the first battle of the Revolution. That's yeah, that's probably, what I was that's thinking. That's pretty of. close to the, okay. the. Now, who is Nathaniel Hale? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> Nathaniel Hale, American soldier. Oh, in the Continental Army during the American Revolution. Okay. <laughs> yes. No. This nothing yeah, to do with 1769. Nathan Hale was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Think on that for That's a while. Right. He was going through puberty. <laughs> so, so yeah, you want to know what I know. Yeah, so, what do you know about the Boston Massacre? British soldier mm-hmm. shot um, colonial guy. and Colonial were, guy. People were like, oh, hell no. Oh, uh, who, no. Who, no. Who shot first, the chicken or the egg? Right? <laughs> I shot the sheriff, but Honor I did not Grito. shoot the deputy. Yeah. So they yeah. got their muskets. Well, it's very clear you neither back. of you know anything about the Boston Massacre. <laughs> and they were like, I must get my musket. <laughs> <laughs> and then they took all their tea and threw yeah, it in the threw harbor. In the harbor. Well, and then I they mean, parked their car. <laughs> the there were no cars back then. <laughs> That's why it was so shocking. <laughs> and, and then... <laughs> The molasses flood happened, <laughs> and it was a real sticky situation. Which is an insensitive thing to say because it was so horrible. Okay. Did we get it? No. Are you mad at us because we I don't, ruined I don't even your know case? where you guys went with this. You we ruined your whole case. <laughs> you just gave everything away. <laughs> Kristen's pretty kind of close. Was Alexander <laughs> Hamilton there? Uh, no. Damn it. The general. Uh, <laughs> Here comes the general. <laughs> You're gonna. Am I gonna, am I gonna be able to tell this case? Am I gonna be able to speak? Yes, I'm sorry. I'm you done. made a real mistake <laughs> I by did. opening it up to both of us. I did. Yeah. I shouldn't yeah. have asked. That's where you erred. <laughs> <laughs> Most common interpretation that even I remember from school was a bunch of British soldiers shot into a crowd of Bostonians. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was the Boston Massacre. And Nathan Hale was (laughs) Nathan Hale was there. So was Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. (laughs) And when they got shot, they dropped their tea bags. (laughs) And they got a tea bag. They were tea bagging each other. They were tea bagging each other. (laughs) 
as it turns out. <laughs> anyway, it's a little more complicated than that. Oh. Okay. So, let's go back in time. (laughs) It's the year 1765. In France, the first modern restaurant opens up in Paris. In 1765. This is where you learned the fact that you shared with us. I did, (laughs) yeah. I did share this fact. Uh, Mr. Boulanger, I'm probably saying that wrong. Wait, aren't you going to tell people what... I'm going to get to it. Oh, okay, sorry. It's probably Boulanger. 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 He opened up a soup restaurant, and he sold a soup... Which was a white creamy soup with sheep hooves in it. What? Ew. Chowder? Chowder. <laughs> sheep hooves? Hooves. Sheep hooves. <laughs> hooves. It was the first modern restaurant. Uh, and the word uh, restaurant comes from the French word restar. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> restar. I don't know how to say it. Norm, your French is impeccable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it means how is your French worse than mine? <laughs> restore. It means like to restore, restoration. Yeah. <laughs> restoration hardware. Yes. Sheep hooves. <laughs> Can you believe there wasn't a, a, a restaurant before then? That's crazy. Anyway, <laughs> also in 1765, in the American colonies, they were colonies of the British Empire. The first chocolate factory opened up <gasps> in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Oh, not it's in a neighborhood Hershey. of Boston. Not in Hershey. Not in Hershey. Yeah. Dorchester. It's called Baker's. Still around today. Oh, yeah. Baker's chocolate. Yeah, they make chocolate for baking. Yep. They are owned by Kraft now. Oh. <laughs> Sadly. Yeah, that's disappointing. Yep. Hasn't been the same since the corporate takeover. <laughs> <laughs> also in 1765. <laughs> How long is this park going to Hang on. <laughs> Uh, also, I've given you fun facts about the year 1765. Okay. Also in 1765, uh, Price is Right host Bob Barker was born. It's uh, <laughs> not accurate. It's not. <laughs> You're killing Brandy here. Brandy had to process it. great. <laughs> Brandy had to process it and think, wait a minute. There's no way he was born. Just a second there. Yeah. Wait just a gosh darn minute. Okay. And finally, in 1765, revolution is in the air mm. in the American colonies. So in the 1700s, the British fought a series of wars to protect their colonies because, as you know, there are many European countries that had colonies all over the world. The Swedish, the Dutch, the French, the Spanish. Mm-hmm. And there was a big old war called the Seven Years' War, also known as the French and Indian War. Yeah, it took seven years. Seven years. And the British government said, we spent... Nathan was there. <laughs> Nathan is was 14. Nathan was? <laughs> no, he was going through puberty. A lot of changes were happening <laughs> in his body. He was with his brother Enoch at Yale. Going through puberty. Nathan Hale went to <laughs> Yale. <laughs> anyway, the British government said... Uh, wow, this was really expensive, fighting these wars. You know what? We should have the colonists pay for these wars because we were defending their colon- the, these colonies. The colonists should pay for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the British passed a few acts to tax the colonists. In Hamilton. <laughs> in Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. One of them was the Stamp Act. Yeah. And so that meant this is a ridiculous 
act, by the way. Well, don't be so biased. We'll decide. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Lay it on us, Norm. If you wanted to use printed material in the colony, you had to buy paper that was made in London, and it had a stamp on it that showed that you paid for it. So legal documents, magazines, playing cards, newspapers, you had to buy it through London. You had to pay that Stamp Act tax. And you had to use British currency. You could not use colonial money. And British currency was kind of hard to come by in the colonies, you know? Yeah. What the problem was, this greatly affected very influential people in the colonies. People that had newspapers, lawyers, tavern keepers, merchants. And so you have the most influential people in your colony getting pissed off. Yeah, Britain keeps shitting on them endlessly. Yes. (laughs) So there's other... Yes. That's a line from Hamilton. Oh, I, I, yeah, I fell asleep during Hamilton. No, you saw it once. I saw it once and fell asleep. You know what is a saying that I just made up? What? Don't start a fight with someone who buys their ink by the barrel. And I think that that saying that I just, no, it's something that I just made up. It's not from Hamilton, but I didn't make it up. I'm lying. But I'm just saying, this is what, this is what they're saying. Don't fight with someone who... Yeah. As a newspaper, yeah, yeah, dumbasses. So they also tried to tax sugar with the Sugar Act, tea, the Tea Act, yeah, Boston Tea Party. Yeah, we heard about that, of course, at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, and so the British Parliament passed all of these acts by going around Parliament. They didn't even talk to Parliament about this. Rude. They directly taxed the colonists, which the colonists said violated the English Bill of Rights. They said, well, you have to go through Parliament to do this, and we have no representation in Parliament. Taxation without representation. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's a buzzword I remember. (laughs) And the colonists believe they didn't want to pay for a war that Britain fought for its own benefits. Mm. Okay. And Britain saw the colonists as spoiled. They paid less taxes than British mainlanders, and they had way more rights than British mainlanders because they had their own little local governments and They'll whatnot. be back. What? They'll be back. Wait and see. What are you, Arnold Schwarzenegger? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Is this a Hamilton yeah, thing? Yeah, Jesus. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is a real mistake. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Britain also said, hey, we fought these wars to defend the colonies, which was true. The French and Indian War. Yeah. Britain was protecting their yeah. colonies. Okay. Wait, so, are you acting like you know? Not only what I know from Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the colonists start protesting all this. Okay. And so Parliament uh, ignored the protests, and they sent troops to the colonies to enforce all of these laws and to collect taxes. And colonists had to pay for housing, and they had to feed the troops, and a bunch of resentment boiled between Britain and the colonists. And by the way, the Third Amendment of the Constitution... Are you aware of what, what the Third Amendment is? Yeah. Yeah, but I you am, tell but us you to make sure <laughs> oh, okay. that we've got it right. We'll, no, we'll make sure you've got it. Go ahead and say Basically, it. what you think it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a Fourth Amendment person myself. <laughs> Basically, people have the right to not quarter troops in their home without yeah, consent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because back Some then— Some of us don't support our troops. <laughs> because back then, the British troops could just show up at your house and say, I'm yeah, staying I'm here. here. I'm living here. That you got to feed me. You, I want feet pics. Ew. Ew. It's weird. I know. Ew, no. 
I don't know. The troops want a feet pics. <laughs> you don't know who you're going to get on your doorstep. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no, well. That would suck ass. Yes. Yeah. Unless, like, some really hot soldier shows up and you're single, mm-hmm. ready to meet. I think that's the plot of A Doll's House. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was Mexican pussy. <laughs> That doesn't even make sense, Norm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all of the, the Sugar Act, the Tea Act, the Stamp Act, they all got repealed because the colonists yeah. were yeah. just pissed off. And so the British um, assigned Lord Townsend Ooh. to the case. He was in charge of colonial revenue. And he passed in 1768 the Townsend Acts, which he said, all right, we're not going to tax sugar. We're not going to tax tea. Did he name them himself? himself? I'm not sure. That's so douchey if he did. He said, all right, we're not going to do that. But if you want to import anything from Britain, you got to pay a tax on it. So uh, paint, glass, lead. So these were like necessities the colonists needed that they they weren't making themselves yet, that they had to get from Britain. And so the colonists were like, you're putting a gun to our head. You're like forcing us to pay these taxes. This is like just as bad as the other stuff. Well, hang on. Don't I mean, don't you have to pay some tax to Britain if you're? Yeah, I kind of. I think we're I think we're arguing the wrong side. I know. <laughs> Are you for the British? Well, <laughs> I mean, don't you have to pay something? They did, but they okay. thought they were they were being extra taxed. I guess okay. like you're All for right. like we have to import glass. We don't have a choice. We, we don't have a choice. Here. Okay. You know. All right. It's like if you went to the grocery store and they said you have to buy bananas. Or we're going to shoot you in the head. That's not what they're saying. I know. That's not a <laughs> And there's a banana tax. It's insane. <laughs> you okay. must buy bananas. And the banana tax is 50%. That's so obviously, outrageous. Obviously, the colonists are pissed off. Mm-hmm. And this was, you know, the, the beginnings of the revolution. Because a lot of these colonists were from different parts of Europe. So, like I said, Dutch, Swedish. Yeah. French, and that all of a sudden they're united now in their unhappiness with the situation. Yeah, okay. What's that? What? He's French. <laughs> <laughs> the Massachusetts <laughs> Bay Assembly. The Massachusetts Bay Assembly sent a letter to all the other colonies encouraging them to boycott the Townsend Act, and Britain flipped their shit. When they found out about they that. Oh, their language, minds. language. On this podcast, Sorry. we do not use any. They flipped their poo <laughs> when go. they found Thank out. <laughs> I think that sounds worse. <laughs> so it, it creates more of a visual. Visual, it sure does. I was picturing like literal shit poo being flipped. In a, yeah. in a frying pan. Mm-hmm. Poo pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> no thanks, I'm full. <laughs> so Britain sends in the army. <laughs> I had a lot to go Norm, through. I love it. This will be a four-hour episode. This is so fun, though. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so Britain sends in the army to enforce the Townsend Act. In 1768, they captured John Hancock's ship, the Liberty. John Hancock made a ton of money bootlegging goods oh. to avoid paying those taxes. Oh. Not even right? observation. He's like Al Capone. He was mm-hmm. the Al Capone of, of his the revolution. <laughs> So the Sons of Liberty, which was a revolutionary organization, they start spreading propaganda and they kind of get people riled up. There's like little riots in the streets, you know. On February 22nd, 1770, 
there is a mob outside the customs official house, and somebody threw something through this guy's window, and it hit his wife in the head. Oh, okay. Uh-oh. And the guy panicked, took out his gun, fired it into the crowd. <gasps> killed. And that's how it started. What started? The Boston Massacre. I'm not even to the Boston no, Massacre. Boston. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. This was the shot heard around the world. <laughs> anyway, he grabbed his gun, fired it in the crowd, and he killed an 11-year-old boy. Oh, Christopher no. Cedar. Wait, was the wife even hurt? No. Wait, so she was just fine and then... Oh, my. Oh, no. Yeah, he, got, he, got, he got a little spooked. Someone oh. broke his window. He said, good heavens! <laughs> he grabbed his gun, <laughs> shot in the crowd, killed an 11-year-old boy, Christopher Cedar. Obviously... 2,000 people attended this boy's funeral. Oh, my Whoa. gosh. So this, all of so this gets people Boston? out in the street, and they're now actively looking for confrontation with British soldiers. Okay? People are pissed. On March 2nd, 1770, there was an off-duty British soldier, and he went up to some rope makers, which was a fine occupation back then. And they he asked if- As opposed to the trash that it is today. Yeah. <laughs> Rope makers don't make shit today. Okay. They don't make them like they used to. <laughs> they don't make them like these two. Off-duty British soldier went up to some rope makers, and he was like, hey, do you guys have any work available? And this was very common among British soldiers. They always looked for extra wages while they weren't on duty. And the rope makers uh, looked at him, and they replied, yeah, why don't you go clean my outhouse? Oh, shit. Oh. And, and so then he the British did. soldier said, good heavens. <laughs> Another brawl. Huge brawl ensues oh. between soldiers and colonists. But, you know, it gets settled. Everything's okay. Or is it? I don't think it is. I, I think this is and all now we arrive something. On March 5th, 1770. It's a cold winter night in Boston. King Street. Did you ever go to King Street in Boston? I'm sure I did. Okay. <laughs> Good story, yeah. So, in King Street, there is a wig maker's apprentice standing in the street, hanging out with his boys. He's a young boy. Everyone wore a wig back then, as you know. Yeah. yeah. I it was, wigs were in. I thought it was the wealthy people wore the wigs. Yeah, wigs coming out the ass. Boy, how do you keep that clean? <laughs> so, the wig maker's apprentice, his name was Edward Garrick. He started yelling at a British captain named John Goldfinch, who was just walking by. And Garrick said, there goes the fellow who hath not paid my master for dressing his hair. Oh, shit. There goes that fellow. Now, John Goldfinch had already paid his bill the day before. So he just ignored the kid. Yeah. And kept on walking. Well, there's another British soldier standing on guard. He was outside the Boston Custom House, which was on King Street, which is today known as State Street. Oh. Oh, then I have been on that street. Okay. Were you trying to trip me up earlier? No, no, no. Oh, okay. So his name was Private Hugh White. Hugh White? He was Hugh White. He was the sentry on duty, and he overhears Edward Garrick yelling at his beloved captain. <laughs> and so White- Oh, can... Captain, my captain. <laughs> <laughs> I know I paid your bill. <laughs> and then Captain Crunch came out. <laughs> and that's how we get Captain Crunch. You know Crunch. what? Captain Crunch- that's stolen valor. I don't think he's a captain. <laughs> I think he's full of shit. <laughs> captain Crunch. He drops the tea. <laughs> so Hugh White confronts Edward Garrick and says, 
He is a gentleman, and if he owes you anything, he will pay for it. Oh. So Garrick fires back and says, oh, I didn't even know there were any gentlemen left in this regiment. Oh, oh And so this offended Private Hugh White, mm-hmm. who was clearly a PC liberal bitch. <laughs> And after an exchange of words, <gasps> bam! Oh. Private Hugh White slits Garrick's throat. <gasps> what? From ear to ear. What? Okay, he didn't actually do that. Oh, Norman! <laughs> he didn't slit his throat. He hit him over the head with the butt of his rifle, knocking him down. You're really taking advantage of the fact that we don't know history. <laughs> I am. By just making shit up. Okay, so he knocks Edward Garrick down, and this causes a little commotion. And people around are like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. So a crowd starts gathering in front of... Hey, come on. (laughs) Do the locomotion. (laughs) You've got to swing A song and dance breaks out on on King Street. Come on, baby. (laughs) Jump up. Jump back. Kristen knows a lot of the locomotion. (laughs) She does. Whoa, whoa. So a crowd starts gathering in front of Private White. <laughs> yeah, they break out. And they said, "Now that you can do it, let's make a chain now." Come on, baby. Do Oh, okay. Norm's Norm's really getting fed up with us here. <laughs> so anyway, for the fourth time, a crowd gathers in front of Private White. Uh-huh. And they start yelling insults at him. They call him a lobster back. <gasps> What the fuck does that mean? Well, the British the uniform coats. was red. They call him a lobster back. They start throwing ice at him. Shards of what? ice. They start throwing snowballs at him. Oh, okay. They start throwing rocks. I forgot it was wintertime. <laughs> it is a like, cold winter night in Boston. Like, where'd they get the ice? It seems like you'd that'd be hard to come by. Not in Boston in March. Yeah, I put it together. Is it March? You it lobster is March, back. March 5th, 1770. Many in the crowd were taunting Private White to fire his musket, because oh. if he fired his musket, they could attack him. Oh. Self-defense. They're like, fire your musket. Come yeah. on, fire hit your me, musket. Bitch. Hit me, bro. Hit me. Yeah. Hit me. Hit me. <laughs> so there are now 50 to 100 people in this crowd moving toward Private White. Private White's musket was loaded. Well, yeah, but it's just a freaking musket. But according to British law, British soldiers cannot fire on civilians unless there is an order from the magistrate. Mm-hmm. So oh. his musket is loaded, but he really can't do anything. Okay. And uh, one man in the crowd, his name is Henry Knox. He would go on to become George Washington's secretary of war. He told Private White, if you fire that musket, you will die for it. So Private Hugh White is a little scared. And... In this mob is a 47-year-old man named Crispus Attucks. Okay. Does that name sound familiar to you? It does. Okay. Is he Cri- the guy who dies? I'll get to it. Okay. Crispus Attucks was half black, half Native American. Many believe he was a free man, but historians do debate today if he was free or if he was a runaway slave. He worked in Boston as a sailor and a rope maker, and he had just gotten back from the Bahamas... And he was on his way to North Carolina. He just stopped in Boston until his ship took off a few days later. Crispus Attucks was not a fan of the British mm-hmm. because they always were looking for work. And he was a rope maker 
And so there was, oh, he was taking work they from took taking work from, they took our gerbs. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, either way, Crispus Attucks was a physically imposing man. He was six foot two, which was well, very back, big. back then. Adjusted for inflation, yes. seven feet tall. And today. according to witnesses, we don't know for sure. He was leading the mob, and he had a large club, Ooh. and he was angry. So they backed up Private White to the front door of the custom house. So he's like, he's got nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so he loudly bangs on the door behind him, and he screams for backup. And he yells, turn out, main guard, which is the signal for, I need help. <laughs> okay. So they the, they send a runner from the customs house to the barracks of the British soldiers. And they notify Captain Thomas Preston of Private White's dire situation. So Captain Thomas Preston was dealing with other issues as well because when this started, other mobs kind of broke out yeah. around the city. Yeah, uh, There was a mob of 200 people near Dock Square. There was a little mob forming outside the barracks where he was, and someone also rang the fire bell in the town, which brought tons of people out of their house to see what was going on. Mm-hmm. So the mobs are just getting bigger and bigger. So Captain Preston wasn't really sure what to do. So on one hand, if he did nothing, Private White would probably die. The Mm -hmm. mob would probably kill Private White. But if he took his uh, soldiers to help Private White, they would be vastly outnumbered by the mob. And so he's putting his other soldiers' lives at risk too. And again, under British law, he can't fire on the crowd without an order from the local magistrate. So he's not really sure what to do. This dude took 30 minutes... To think about what to do. Poor Private White is getting pelted by all sorts of stuff from this mob. So he finally decides after 30 minutes, okay, I'm going to take seven soldiers and we're going to go to the custom house and we're going to save Private Private White. So this heroic act would later become the basis (laughs) for the 1998 critically panned British film Saving Private White. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible movie. <laughs> Do you think he was just waiting it out? Like if I if maybe I, it'll all just maybe, yeah boil may, over. Yeah, yeah. like may, if I sit here and pretend to think about it long enough, they'll yeah. just kill him, and yeah. then I'll be like, oh no, oh, I, no. I, I, was, yeah. I was just I was about I just, to do something. I was gonna do something. I was tying my boots. <laughs> I was tying my boots. That's how he would say it. No. Anyway, so Preston and the seven other soldiers arrived just in time. Private White was still there. I bet he was. So they formed. <laughs> Where they, was he gonna go? They formed a semicircle around him, and they had fixed their bayonets, but the muskets were not loaded. Mm. So they just like held their bayonets out. Okay. So Captain Preston yelled for the crowd to disperse, but they refused. They kept throwing objects at them. They were yelling insults. They were daring them to fire. So Captain President says, okay, I'm going to try to scare the crowd. So he orders his men to load their weapons. And again, Henry Knox is still there. And he reminds Captain Preston, if you fire those muskets, you will die. And so what happens next varies. I'm not really sure what happens. A private Montgomery, who was one of the soldiers Captain Preston brought with him, he is struck in the head. He's either by an object thrown or a club. Either way, he gets smacked. Idea. He gets smacked in the head, and he falls down. 
And then someone yells, fire. But we aren't sure who yells it. Either way, Private Montgomery, he, he gets up and he shoots into the crowd. Oh, shit. Oh, no. And then several other soldiers start firing their right, guns as right. well into the crowd. Captain Preston yells for them to halt. Stop! But damage was done. Eleven people had been shot. <gasps> Three people died immediately. Wow. Crispus Attucks uh-huh. was shot twice in the chest. Oh, my. Samuel Gray and James Caldwell. And two others were mortally wounded and died later, Patrick Carr and Samuel Maverick. What about Nathan Hale? <laughs> Nathan Hale was going through puberty at Yale. <laughs> so, word of the shooting quickly reaches the governor, Thomas Hutchinson. <laughs> and he arrives on King Street with more soldiers. And he finds Captain Preston visibly shaken. And the crowd is now furious. Well, yeah, fucking people were yeah. shot. So, Governor, like they were asking for it, though, right? <laughs> Governor Hutchison runs up to the balcony of the State House, which is right next to the Customs House, and he yells to the crowd, please disperse, we will have a proper trial. And he yells, let the law have its course, I will live and die by the law. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. uh-huh, I hate that. There was an audio recording, that's what it sounded like. <laughs> the first audio recording. <laughs> <laughs> so... The crowd says, all right. So the crowd begins to disperse. Mm -hmm. And uh, after midnight, there is an investigation, and Captain Thomas Preston is arrested. He is interrogated, and after his interrogation, the eight soldiers, including Private White, are also arrested. So we're about to have a trial. Mm -hmm. Okay, so obviously this is called the Boston Massacre. And back then the word massacre, when when you think of the word massacre today, I think there's always an association with body count. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, oh, 50 people died? That's a massacre. I think 11 wounded sounds... Especially when all you've got are muskets. But even even back then, if you just use the word massacre, it could be if you just like brutally murdered somebody, Mm -hmm. it would be considered a massacre. Mm -hmm. Just one okay. one person. But anyway, this whole thing didn't calm anyone down. Uh, both sides used this event as propaganda. So British loyalists said, oh, it was an unruly mob. They weren't following the law. They should be punished. It was self-defense. The revolutionists said this attack was premeditated. They were planning this the whole time. The whole time? Yes. The whole time? <laughs> The whole time. <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> Daniel. I have to leave. We have to go. <laughs> I have to leave now. So each side printed up pamphlets with vastly different stories about what oh, happened. Oh, yeah. History is the memory of things said and done. <laughs> anyway. Rattle that around in your mouth. One of the most, one of the most effective pieces of propaganda was a cartoon printed by... My boy, Paul Revere. Oh, God. You... I, I was I, I was like, quick, who created Garfield? And, like, Jim Davis came out Jim after, Davis. After he, I was like, oh, God, that would have been such a good Jim troll. Davis was born in the 20th century. He was not yet alive. <laughs> what would your boy Paul Revere say? Well, he printed a cartoon called The Bloody Massacre. And it, it is not accurate portrayal of what happened. It shows the British soldiers standing in a straight line, literally firing into the crowd, and you see the captain behind them ordering them to fire, and there's people shooting from windows. Definitely not what happened. But it's very powerful. 
It's yeah. probably the most effective piece of propaganda. Yeah. And that image is in most – I remember in my high school textbook that image was in there. Paul and this cartoon. was a cartoon? Cartoon. I think I saw that on someone's neck once. <laughs> Tattoo, yeah. <laughs> I met that. Tattoos are involved in this case, by the way. Really? Yep. What? Believe it or not. I'll get to that later. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. So Governor Hutchinson says, all right, we're going to have a trial, but I'm going to wait till October. Why? I got to let things calm down. People are fired up. I know. Got to cool off. People got to cool off. Well, a lot of shit's going to go down between March and October. So the, the colonists actually convinced Governor Hutchinson to withdraw all soldiers from Boston. Oh. Is that people are pissed off? Get all the soldiers out of here, mm-hmm. and then there won't be any confrontation. So he does. He moves them all to Castle William, which is offshore Boston, Nantucket. They go to the Hamptons. They have a great time. Mm-hmm. That's in New York. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Yeah, yeah. For anyone who doesn't okay. know. <laughs> so for the trial, the courts appointed Samuel Quincy, a British sympathizer, as the special prosecutor. And uh, Mr. Samuel Adams, <gasps> the beer guy, the beer guy, he convinces the courts that, hey, you, you got to balance things out. You know, you can't have a British sympathizer as the prosecutor. OK, you got to have someone on our side, too. And so they are like, all right, this is this is not common, but we're going to let you do it. So the town of Boston actually pays for a patriot named Robert Payne. To join the prosecution as well. So you have I've a British sympathizer and you have Robert Payne, both on the prosecution. Again, this was very odd at the time. But the bigger question was, who's going to defend Captain Preston and the eight soldiers? Everyone in Boston hated these guys. The most hated men in Massachusetts. Yeah, don't you have to bring a British dude in? Yeah. But one man did agree to defend the British soldiers. And his name was John Adams. <gasps> future second president of the United oh, States. Shit. Wow. John Adams! John Adams, you say? <laughs> I know him. That can't be! <laughs> That's that little well, guy who stuck to me! <laughs> Hamilton? Uh-huh. No, it's just, it's just us improving. Ad-lib. Okay, so John Adams was an outspoken critic of the British. So he, yeah. w- he was, you know... Kind of revolutionist, but he was also a big fan of the law. Did he live and die by the law? Lived and died by it. So John Adams admitted that taking the case caused a lot of anxiety for himself and his family, and he worried his law practice would fail as a result if he took the case. And not to mention his cousin was Samuel Adams, who was in the Sons of Liberty. Adams was paid 18 guineas from the soldiers for his services. And I'm sure you're wondering, what is a guinea? Mm -hmm. Yeah. A guinea is a gold coin. (laughs) Guinea. It's a tight. He got 18 (laughs) pigs. It's like, these aren't even really big enough to eat. (laughs) So a guinea is a gold coin that originates from the Guinea region in West Africa. And it was a form of currency back then. Um, and adjusted for inflation, if he was paid today, he got about $3,500 for his service. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not quite enough to ruin your law <laughs> it practice. It was not a lot. So there's actually two trials. There's one for Captain Preston, and then there's one for the eight soldiers. Mm-hmm. 
Now, interestingly, the soldiers wanted the trials to be combined. And here's why. They knew that Captain Preston's best defense was to deny he gave an order to fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and blame it all on them. The soldiers' best defense was that they were only following Captain Preston's order. Mm -hmm. So if Preston won his trial, it would severely hurt the soldiers' trial. Yeah. Right? And ultimately, the courts denied a joint trial. There's going to be two separate trials. So Captain Preston's trial comes first. It took place October 24th to October 30th, 1770. And uh, one of the leading historians of the Boston Massacre, his name is Hiller B. Zobel, he contends that the trial was decided at jury selection. I'm so, we're just we're just putting out a Hiller B. Zobel. Hiller B. Zobel. What's, what's his first name? Hiller. Hiller. B. Zobel. <laughs> Naturally. All right. So five of the 12 jurors were British loyalists, mm-hmm. and none of them were from Boston. Oh. And so... Historians wonder why did why did the revolutionists why did they kind of back off on because they were obviously like you have to have a fair trial you have to have some of our guys on the prosecution but these jurors were obviously not on their side so he said well why did Boston leader why did they back off of this and historians theorize that they decided maybe it's good if if the soldiers get acquitted because mm. then the British government would kind of like back off from, like, harassing us more. Yeah. Maybe it's good that they get acquitted. You know, the s- a sacrifice, basically. But we don't know for sure. That's just a theory. Mm. That's just Hiller B. Willard talking. Hiller B. <laughs> Wilford Brimley. <laughs> it's just Wilford Brimley. <laughs> so, the main issue in the trial is, did Captain Preston give the order to fire? And in his deposition, Captain Preston was adamant he did not tell anyone to fire. He claimed he never intended to have his men fire. Despite having their guns loaded, he just was trying to scare people. Was Jack Nicholson there? Hmm? Did you order the Code Red? Don't make me, Brandy. (laughs) I love that movie. Did you order the Code Red? You got that right, I did! (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) I'm going to do that for movie night. I love it. Oh, no. It's such a good movie. What movie is this? A Few Good Men. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) So Captain Preston said people were throwing stuff at him and his troops, and he heard a voice behind him in the alley yell, why don't you fire? (gasps) But all he heard was fire. All the soldiers heard was fire. Now, the prosecution was extremely unimpressive. Mm. They brought 23 witnesses to the stand, and only four of them claimed Preston gave the order to fire. The only thing the prosecution succeeded in doing was establishing how confusing everything was that evening. Okay. John Adams called 23 witnesses of his own, and many of their stories matched the prosecution's witnesses. But the key difference was John Adams' witnesses said they didn't hear Captain Preston give the order to fire. And there was conflicting reports about where Captain Preston was standing. Some say he was standing in front of his troops. Some say he was behind his troops. But it was established he was standing in front of his troops. But they heard behind them an Mm. order to fire. And so the jury deliberated for just a few hours, and they reached their verdict. Not guilty. Mm -hmm. Captain Preston did not give the order to fire. 
So a month later, on November 27th, the eight soldiers stood trial. In their defense of following orders, that wasn't going to work anymore. So their new strategy was to kind of amplify the chaos of the night and say, shit was crazy. We were acting in self-defense. Yeah, I think that's the perfect strategy. Yeah. The prosecution called 34 witnesses and the defense called 51 witnesses. All this took place over five days, which is... Man, they were really... Yeah. Needless to say, it was a clusterfuck. Yeah. <gasps> we don't use that kind of language. language. Cluster fudge. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, Ooh, that's like a fudge with a bunch of nut clusters. Here, here's, how, here's how bad <laughs> the prosecution was. So they called up one witness. His name was Samuel Emmons. He was called to the stand, and he was asked to identify the soldiers he saw on the night of the shooting. And he replied, he couldn't identify any of them. He said, I wasn't even on King Street on the night of March 5th. Well, what the fuck's he doing he said, on the stand? My brother was. They called oh. the wrong guy up. Oh. So it was super embarrassing for the prosecution. Well, yeah. Oops, cluster fudge stripes. Am I right? So John Adams calls up 51 witnesses. And oh, it was fudge. It was nothing. It was just over and over the same story and details. Angry mob, men and boys with sticks, ice, oyster shells. They were looking for a fight. They were attacking these soldiers. Is anyone going to get in trouble <laughs> for the fact that they were... What's your joke? <laughs> Is anyone going to get in trouble <laughs> for the fact that there were men and boys? <laughs> <laughs> We're overlooking a huge crime. <laughs> I believe he said men and oh, boys, ma'am. You <laughs> pervert. Norm, will you ever do this again? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> John Adams also had to kind of save himself. So he said, this was an angry mob. These were not ordinary Boston citizens. People of Boston are wonderful. This was just an angry mob. Yeah. But he was also, John Adams was kind of a little racist. Oh, he was? What he, he brought say? up Crispus Attucks. He said oh. this was an angry mob led by a black man, quote, whose very looks was enough to terrify any person oh, who boy. had not the soldiers then to fear. Ooh, okay. hate that. <laughs> So, yeah, he, he harped on the fact that, hey, all these people are saying this big, angry black man led this mob. Wow. The soldiers were scared. I have never heard that the founding fathers were racist. <laughs> <laughs> this is news to me, too. But I will point this out. John Adams was one of the few Maybe one of the only, no, not the only, one of the few founding fathers who was not an enslaver. Okay. I mean, it's such a low but, bar. Yeah, well, it's a low bar. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I, I have always heard John Adams was not an enslaver. He was, you know, one of one of the good founding fathers. And then I, I researched this case and I was like, oh, well, that's shitty. But again, I think, you know... It's such a low bar. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Oh, wow. He didn't purchase people. Yeah. What a great guy. <laughs> yeah. That is a low bar. 
John Adams wrapped up his defense with a somewhat famous speech. There's a line in this speech that people use quite a bit, even to this day. He says, I will enlarge no more on the evidence, but submit to you, facts are stubborn things. And whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passions, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence, nor is the law less stable than the fact. If an assault was made to endanger their lives, the law is clear. They had a right to kill in their own defense. If it was not so severe as to endanger their lives, yet if they were assaulted at all, struck and abused by blows of any sort, by snowballs, oyster shells, cinders, clubs, or sticks of any kind, this was a provocation, for which the law reduces the offense of killing down to manslaughter. In consideration of those passions in our nature which cannot be eradicated, to your candor and justice, I submit the prisoners and their cause. Hmm. For the jury left to deliberate, the judges reiterated to them that malice is the grand criterion that distinguishes murder from all other homicides. So the jury came back two and a half hours later, and John Adams thought, oh, that's not a good sign. Yeah. Came back quick. Six men were found not guilty. Six? Six. Two of them, Hugh Montgomery, the man who was struck in the head, Uh got back up, fired his gun, and a, a Matthew Kilroy, they were convicted of manslaughter. Was there it was enough of his last name they thought they thought Kilroy this guy <laughs> this definitely guy for sure killed there was Roy. enough evidence to show that their shots most certainly killed people so a week later the two men stood before the court and they did something that was common back then they pleaded for the benefit of clergy you familiar with this no what is mm-hmm. that you seen this you heard about this no <laughs> no you seen this thing <laughs> so basically you could plead for a lesser sentence in front of the judges. Some offenses were not considered clergyable. Manslaughter was something that was considered clergyable. So you could say, hey, I'm really sorry. I won't do it again. Mm-hmm. Now, way back in the day, benefit of clergy, you had to recite passages from the Bible. Yeah, You're a changed man. Based in religion yeah. somewhere. But yeah. they got rid of a lot of those rules. Mm-hmm. And the reason, the the original reason they had this was you had to read passages from the Bible, so it really benefited literate people. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. But then the uh, Age of Enlightenment happens, and a lot more people can read now. So they got rid of that rule mm-hmm. that you had to read passages from the Bible. And they just said, okay, we have this benefit of clergy now. So the two men plead for benefit of clergy. The punishment for manslaughter back then was death. Oh, shit. But this crime was considered clergyable. And the plea changed their punishment. They were granted benefit of clergy. They had to get their thumbs branded. Ouch. They got tattoos. What did they say? Was it Daffy Duck? Each man (laughs) received... It's going to be crazy if it's Daffy Duck. Each man received a Tweety Bird. (laughs) (laughs) No, each man received the letter M branded (gasps) on their thumbs. For manslaughter? Yes. And the reason they do that is... If you do it again, they see the M and they say, oh, you're a repeat offender. You don't get benefit of clergy. Sick tattoo. But don't tattoos on your hands like wear off after like. Well, this was a branding. This was a hot iron. It's not going anywhere. Sizzled it right in there. Yeah. Mm. So the Boston Massacre becomes yet another rallying cry for independence from the British. 
The revolution was coming. Imminent. And for John Adams, he feared retribution for defending these soldiers. But it actually helped him tremendously because he was seen as this intelligent, unbiased leader. And so the revolutionists said, hey, if you stick up for our side, you'll persuade tons more people to join the revolution. Yeah. Which he did. did. Yeah. And uh, it would be extremely powerful and influential. And, of course, he did. He was a Massachusetts delegate to the Continental Congress. He helped draft the Declaration of Independence. He served as a diplomat to Europe. He helped draft the peace treaty with Britain after the Revolutionary War. And, of course, he served as vice president under George Washington, and then he was the second president of the United States. Crispus, I heard he shot the bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is this a Hamilton thing again? <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so Crispus Attucks, he was painted as a villain by the defense in this trial. But in the 1800s, he became an abolitionist icon because he was often said to be the first man to die for the American Revolution. Mm. And he became a symbol of equality and patriotism. Mm. So again, history is the memory of things said and done. Mm -hmm. Oh, I feel like we're really learning stuff today, Normie. (laughs) And that, my friends is the Boston Massacre. So Nathan Hale wasn't there? <laughs> For the upteenth time, no, he was not. <clears throat> well, there you go, folks. The Boston Massacre. That was great. You're forgetting the last part of the story, though. What's that? Well, they had the M brands, and like the guy murdered someone, but then he was like, no, this is a W. It says, what's up? <laughs> He turned it into a stick figure, and he said, it's my right-hand man. (laughs) I need my right-hand man back. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. So, yeah, growing up, I always thought it was these evil British men, and they just fired into a crowd and, like... Yeah. Evil, evil, evil. But, yeah, it's way more to it than that. There really is, and honestly... I'm kind of with the British on it. Well, so was John Adams. Yeah. John Adams, to his credit, said, I'm not taking the case until I hear your side of the story. And he only agreed to take because he believed the British soldiers were innocent. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't have a bunch of people go up against one guy. That boy insulted Captain Goldfinch. (laughs) And no, he did not slit his throat from ear to ear. Just whacked him over the head. Man. Whoopsh. <laughs> whoopsh, whoopsh. You're getting the spanking. Oh, no. Edward Garrick. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, I guess it'd be, you're getting a spanking. No. Whoopsh, okay, whoopsh, no. Whoopsh. You know, at this point, I think we have to move on to an ad. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, Norm, what do you think? Should we take some questions from the Discord? Yippers. Ooh, <laughs> boys. So uh, Brandy got in here. Let let the people know that Normie would be on this episode. So, oh boy! So you might have some questions yeah. directed at you. Clark Breckenridge, aka Lil Nut, wants to know, Norm, how did reanimation feel? We brought you back to life. <laughs> <laughs> I I wouldn't know until I was back. You know? <laughs> I don't know how the reanimation felt. You know, being in the basement wasn't so bad. <laughs> Had some good dog snuggles, right? Mm-hmm. 
Haven Monahan wants to know, what gift can I get my neighbor that says, sorry, my dogs ran into your house and disrupted your party? Asking for a friend. <laughs> mm. Peanut did that one time to our, our neighbors, did do Kevin that. and Jeannie. Not during a party, but she just, you know. They left the garage door open. So I think he was bringing in groceries. It. And Peanut just ran over there and went in their house. Jeannie was upstairs putting makeup on, you know, and all of a sudden, <laughs> Peanut pops <laughs> Peanut showed up. <laughs> A good gift. I mean, bottle of wine. I was gonna say a bottle of wine. Are they adults living there, or is no? It, it's no, a it's bunch like of children. It's like children. a Home Alone situation. <laughs> yeah. Macaulay yeah. Culkin. Kevin. <laughs> Speaking of Home Alone, Lego just released the McAllister house as a Lego I set. I saw that. Oh it looks God. amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> Fun fact. The inside of that home was built in a school gymnasium. It's not in an actual <gasps> oh, house. Oh, shit. But the outside shots were an actual house. Hmm. <laughs> Behind the scenes. Movie magic. By the way, have you, you seen closely, have you, you seen the trailer? See the have you seen the trailer for the new Home Alone movie? No. They're making a new Home Alone movie. Why? It's, I don't know. Home Alone is popular. It's it's got a little British boy. Oh, oh no. no! Stop. Here's what I don't understand. How does that movie work with today's modern it technology? It doesn't. It will not. Furthermore, I thought about the original Home Alone, and I just thought it just doesn't make sense. I don't get why the, the police didn't do anything. Yeah, the police absolutely would have done something. They didn't do something. shit. Yes. They just like drove by and like this lady's crazy. Mm, everything looks fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm starting to think that some of these movies from our childhood, they're like bullshit. Mrs. Doubtfire, <laughs> liar, liar. Like some of them just don't make don't sense. Make sense when you really uh, think about Mrs. it. Mrs. Doubtfire makes sense. <laughs> How far will you go to see your children? <laughs> will you try to kill? <laughs> Your ex-wife's boyfriend by putting pepper on shrimp. Will you throw a lime at the back of his oh, head? Oh, by the way, who orders jambalaya no and one. says not spicy? No, it's yeah. supposed to be spicy, yes, it is Pierce spicy. Brosnan. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> if I were the chef, I would tell that guy to F off. Not spicy. I'm allergic to pepper. Mouthful of hand asks Brandy, are you doing these deadly newlywed cases because you are afraid for your life? Absolutely not. It's no. not what I heard. No, Norm! <laughs> no, there's another theory that I was doing him because I've secretly killed David and I buried him next to you, Norm. He's down there with me. <laughs> I'll be joining him in about 30 minutes. <laughs> Ooh, Richard M. Balls wants to know, you can have an unlimited supply of one thing for the rest of your life. What is it? Money. Money. Duh. Obviously. Come on. Well, you can just buy anything. Yeah. That's the... <laughs> That's kind of cheating, that, that answer. Cheating Sorry. Answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's say you couldn't take money. Okay. Um, gasoline. Hmm. So you never have to buy gas again. Yeah. Or... That cluster fudge you were talking about earlier. Cluster fudge. Yeah, I was going to say like M&M's yeah. or something. Yeah. It's something fun. Yeah. Imagine a never-ending bucket of M&M's. That sounds pretty great. Or Reese PC. That's not, that's no. not how it, it, that's not how people say it. That's, that's how I say it. Some people say it. Reese's Pieces. 
Reesey PC. <laughs> okay, I'm curious about this. Nat likes cats, wants to know. Brandy, as a hairstylist, do you deign to use hotel mini shampoos when you travel, or do you bring your own? I bring my own. Mm-hmm. Hotel shampoos suck. They do suck. There's a real. There's a very specific reason. Because I worry that I'm going to get the hotel where they have a two-in-one. Oh. And that I'm not going to be able to comb through my hair at all. I need a straight-up conditioner. Absolutely. when I was a young boy... Did you use Perp Plus? (laughs) We were on a trip to Colorado, and we were buying supplies, and I found a three-in-one shampoo, conditioner, and body wash. Mm -hmm. And I said, what a deal. It was the worst thing I've ever used. <laughs> okay. Of course it was. Because <laughs> like, you can't do everything can't, well. Okay, so American Crew is a professional men's line, and they make one of those, and it's actually pretty decent. Mm. So you could use a professional version of that on men's hair. That's never going to Is it work a body wash, too? It is. So I can wash my butt, wash my hair, and condition it. Yeah. Incredible. But it's professional. So How it much is, professional. is it? So it's probably expensive. Yeah. It's a little bit more expensive, or yeah, it's a little bit more expensive. But this was three dollars when he spent. <clears throat> it this. was like three bucks, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, you yeah. know, no, you can't wash your hair with Axe. Yeah, it wasn't Axe. I don't even know what brand it was. <laughs> it was Gary's. It, it may have been like best choice. Always save three yeah. in one. No, David uses the American Crew three in one. You just lather head to toe in that stuff. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for that image. Lucky You're welcome. <laughs> Which part are you picturing? <laughs> all the parts, because it cleanses all the parts. <laughs> David washing his dong. <laughs> all right. That's what I thought of immediately. <laughs> As you often do. You're always just picturing David washing his dong. Yeah. Are you doing it from the side so you can see his glorious bubble butt at the same time? <laughs> yeah, ideally. <laughs> Patrick Remember? Starr, the truck clip, wants to know, is this a Weekend at Bernie's situation? Oh, <laughs> man. Weekend at Bernie's. Have Norm propped up in here? I do love that movie. The sequel is even crazier. Weekend at Bernie's 2. I don't know if I've ever seen it. Because I'm not sure that he I gets have. like reanimated and he starts doing a oh, Congo line oh, yeah. under the ocean. It is yeah. wild. Okay, I can't believe I they made a sequel that. to that movie. I can't believe they made a sequel to that. Coerced wants to know, what's it like being called the husband of the LGTC podcast, Kristen Caruso? It's an honor. No <gasps> one's ever called you that, though. I know. Boy, I'm No, someone has. Well, as a joke, right? Yeah. <gasps> I thought it was funny, though. <laughs> it, was, it was like on a Twitch stream or at a convention. Mm-hmm. Somebody said it. No, I want it to be like, for real. For real. The for way real? people actually <clears throat> call me the gaming historian's <laughs> wife. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yep. I have strong opinions on this one. Sex Demon Sea Witch wants to know, Christmas lights, multicolor or white? I like them both. I'm strictly white. You like that white power, huh? Stop it! I don't like multicolor lights. You don't like diversity. That's oh, great. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Fuck. I, okay, I, growing up, we only did the white lights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I did think it was very pretty. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I do like the multicolored, too. Because mm. that's what my wife makes me have. <laughs> no, we don't <laughs> have any. No, but on your tree, you do multicolored lights. Oh, yeah, lights. yeah. We do. We, excuse we me. have a very cool tree that can do both. Yeah, yeah. it does both. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. I just ordered a new Christmas tree. 
Yeah? Yeah, and it can do both. But you best believe it's only going to be on white. (laughs) (laughs) Prayers for Norm's Butthole wants to know, best Mm. gift shop you've been to? And what did you get, Brandy? We all know Brandy loves oh. a gift love shop. I I do love gift shops too. You both love gift shops, don't you? Like at a, I remember shops. like going into museums, I'm like I'm not going to want to buy anything in this museum. Then I go to the gift shop and I'm like, oh, I want everything in yeah. here. Yeah. The mm-hmm. Nelson Atkins has a really good gift shop. World War 1 Museum has a great gift shop. Really? For real. Can you buy panties in there? What? A- oh. Authentic World War 1 panties. <laughs> Peony. That's <laughs> what I said. That's not what I heard. That's not what I heard either. It took me a second. I was like, what are you saying? <laughs> they call them knickers, though. I get all my panties from the World War One Museum. I would never use that word. I hate that word. Dirty knickers. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. The days for Brandy wants to know what's it like being married to Kristen, Norm? Hmm. Hmm. What's it like to live the dream? It's an honor and a privilege. Uh huh. Mm hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, it it is a lot of fun. You said that like there was a gun to your head. head, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I am speaking to you. (laughs) Um, It's wonderful. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's when you're married to your best friend, it's a lot of fun. Oh, that's really sweet. That's the secret to a successful marriage. You marry your best friend. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to be spending a lot of time with Yeah. A lot of time. Like too much. So much time. (laughs) Like every waking hour. (laughs) Kirkland's signature detective wants to know favorite way to cook a turkey. I've never made a turkey, but I just this morning watched a tutorial <laughs> on TikTok about a turkey brine that looked delicious. Okay. I've, um, I've decided I don't think turkey's very good. Oh, really? But is it turkey or ham? <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking about ham. <laughs> you two are very stupid. <laughs> no, I, I, I just I don't think turkey's a great meat. Okay, I think it can be very dry, which is why people typically don't like it. But if you do it right, it can be moist. (laughs) Norm, to your point, even good turkey isn't that great. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you really got to dress it up. So what was this brine? Oh, yeah, so it was a brine and it was brown sugar based. So it was like water Mm -hmm. and brown sugar and a bunch of seasonings and then oranges Mm-hmm. Like squeezed a bunch of oranges in there and let them just like float around in it, mm-hmm. and then they put that turkey in there, and you soak it for like twenty four hours, and then they were gonna smoke it. I don't know. It looked That'd interesting. Be pretty good. Yeah. 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 Oh, and there was. I mean, that's almost like a sure sauce. I mean, that 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 almost reminds me of like barbecue. Like yeah, with the brown there was sugar. a barbecue seasoning in there as well. I think you soak. The turkey and pickle juice. Why? Get some nice that flavor in there. That sounds terrible. That turkey would then haunt my mouth for days. Pickled turkey. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, bidets for Brandy wants to know, Kristen, how are the kitties? How do they get along with the pups? I mean, they don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to sugarcoat things, all right? The cats don't like the dogs. I don't, 
I feel like Boo has been very adventurous lately. I mean, Boo will not be bossed around in yeah. this house. This is her house. Boo, Boo is She queen. pays the mortgage, so yeah. she <laughs> she decides where to go and what to do. Boo is queen. Uh, I think Kiki hangs out with the dogs. Yeah, she's getting more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Boo's definitely well, leave me the hell alone. And also, I think the dogs are getting a little more tame. Dot, Dottie really doesn't care about the cats anymore. Kit is still like, oh my god, he's a cat in the room. <laughs> you know. But she'll get over it eventually. Oh. Norm, I'm dying to know if there is an answer to this. I think I know it. Okay. Fastest bailiff in the West wants to know, Norm, what is the worst meal Kristen has ever cooked for you? Oh, rude. <laughs> rude. <laughs> I have a guess. I What's have, your guess? The um, Greek yogurt fettuccine Alfredo. Yeah, that's that might be. <laughs> it. Oh, what are some other contenders, Norm? <sighs> this poor boy. I mean, I th- I think they all involve Greek yogurt. Yeah, there there was a time when he texted me and he was like, "Kristen just made me soup and that's Greek yogurt." Yeah, yeah. There was a soup you made. <laughs> yeah. It called for sour cream by putting Yeah, and the the yogurt just like congealed at the top. I can't remember what kind of soup it was, but I think that was the It worst. was a white chicken chili. That's it. It was white chicken chili with Greek yogurt. Sorry. I have to answer the question. Oh. Wow. What's the worst thing I've ever made you? Hmm. I don't know. Okay. So you cook really well. The the only thing is like I remember especially when we first started dating, I would ask you, "Did you drain the fat off of this?" And the answer and was I did always not. no. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So like was, tacos, yes, I didn't drain the fat off the ground beef and yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. That's fair. They were delicious though. <laughs> Dictator wants to know, too soon to put up Christmas decorations? Yes. No or no? And I say no. Yes. No. Mm. Yes. No. Do whatever you want. Live your life. Okay. Yeah. I am not a big fan of decorations. What do you mean? I mean, like, Halloween decorations, Christmas decorations. He's against fun. I'm not against fun. I don't know. I just well, and Kristen is so into Christmas decorations. I know. So like, she's in charge of it. All right. And he just hates it. <laughs> I help put up the tree. That's my one job. Kristen, not Kristen, wants to know Brandy. If someone came into your salon and asked you to do their hair like Gwen Shamblin, what would you do? <laughs> oh man! I would escort them out of my business. Can't, okay, for I real. I don't even know where I would begin. So someone t- shows you a picture from the way down, which is the HBO yeah. documentary, yeah. and they're like, this is what I want. Yeah. You'd probably laugh, right? Because you wouldn't even... I would assume it was a joke. Yeah. Yeah. But, but they're looking at you seriously. So and then I would do? explain to them... That that is ugly hair. That that would require a lot of styling every day. And they're like, I am here for it. And also, (laughs) it's my belief that that would be very damaging on their hair to do that much backcombing. There has to be a whole system of backcombing under that thing. What if and they're what if they're offering like quadruple the price? They're like, I'll give you anything. I need this haircut. No, see, I like the idea more of like, 
No, I, you know, I've got a lot of time on mm -hmm. my hands, so I'm ready to dedicate time. I, who knows how long I have on this earth before I get hit by a bus. I don't care if I damage my hair. No. I just want it to I look just really amazing like it. right now mm. with that Gwen Shamblin hair. Mm -hmm. Have you ever refused a haircut? I have explained to someone that the haircut they want would not work for their hair type. Mm -hmm. And then one time a lady was like, I still want it. And I was like, okay, all right. And oh so I gave it to her and it was terrible. And she called the next day and was like, I hate this haircut. And I was like, yes, I explained <laughs> that to you. And she hung up on me. Oh. Hold on. You have to tell us everything. Okay. What did she want? So she wanted... She wanted a scene haircut. Do you know what a scene haircut is? It's like no. a, it's like a mid two thousands. Oh, oh yeah, haircut oh, yeah. with the really long the side bang, and yep. then like very short choppy layers that are yep. teased up, and then very long straight like thin yes, yes front pieces. This woman had very thick hair. Oh god, and wanted to do no styling. Oh, well, yeah. And honey. I was like, that is just never going to work. It's never going to work. And she had obscenely long hair. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you would have to lose a ton of length. No, mm -hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to lose the length. I'm like, those layers are never. It's just it's not going to work. I want you to do it anyway. Oh, my God. And so I did it. And it was terrible. The haircut was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and I styled it up for her, and it looked terrible. Even professionally styled, it looked yes, terrible. Yes, it looked terrible. And what did she say when she looked in the mirror? And she was like, yeah, I think I'll have to like, work with it a little bit to figure out how to get it to do, you know, like yeah. the picture. And uh, I was like, totally. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Work with it. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, the next day, she was like, I hate this haircut. And I was like... I bet yes, you do. I'm I, sure I you do. warned you. I told you this would not work for your hair. Yeah. Yeah. What was she angling for? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what her end game Can was. Can we turn but she, back time? But she hung up on me. Because <laughs> I was like, yes, I, I'm very sorry, but this is what I explained to you when you asked for this haircut. Yeah. And she was like, this is going to require like a, a ton of... Of styling to get it to look like anything. And I was like, Yeah, sure yes, will. And yes, even it will. then it's gonna look like shit. Yes. <laughs> that is correct. Oh. <laughs> did she ever come to you again? No, <laughs> of course she did not. And I would have asked her to leave. <laughs> I wouldn't have, because I wouldn't have liked that confrontation. <laughs> no, you wouldn't have. Man, a scene haircut. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's I remember those timing. back in the day. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you think? Is it time for some Supreme Court inductions? I think so. And you know what? Right now, we are going to list your names and favorite cookies. Brandy, are you going to repeat I'm that not, right now? I'm not, because I was paying attention. <laughs> what I was thinking about, though, what? is that this all started by us making fun of Norm. Mm -hmm. The what Supreme you, Court. Yeah, it did. It's true. <laughs> How do you feel, Norm? Um, I mean... I think it's cool that like I'm part of the lore <laughs> you are. of LGTC you are. permanently. You are. Yeah, and for those who don't know the origin of Supreme Court, Norm, it was on your very your first guest spot with mm -hmm. us. Not true. Yeah. False. 
It was your hot dog case. That was not my first guest. Oh, it wasn't. Oh. No. Oh. oh no, you did. We did video game cases did before that. All right, case. sorry. Yeah. Facts all right. straight. My facts are all wrong. Anyway, Norm was telling us about how the the case progressed through the court system, and he's like, and then it went to the Supreme, Supreme Court. court. And then we started singing an Oprah voice. Super. <laughs> Make fun of him. I, I was just stressing how crazy it was because that case was so stupid. The guy got that hit. man got hit in the eye with a hot dog. Norm, how dare you? The guy got hit in the eye with a hot dog. It is still one of the funniest court cases I've ever heard about. And I loved talking about that case, but yet what came out of that was. Supreme Court. Supreme Court. Yeah. Court. Mm-hmm. It's a sticker, by the way. Buy it today at lgtcpodcast.com. Wow. Ooh, look, look at, at how him. I seamlessly inserted that ad. All right. Good job, Norm. I would have pray for Norm's butthole sticker. I don't know where people would put that. <laughs> the sticker manufacturer would be like, I'm not printing these up. I'm not printing these. <laughs> We'd have to go to the porno store for yeah. yeah. case. Ultimate bliss. Ultimate bliss. Mm-hmm. Cirillas. Have it on the shelf right next to a doll's house. Our local porn store is called <laughs> Cirillas. That's, not, is That's that a, chain. Oh, it's a chain. That's yeah, yeah. a chain. Yeah. Well, it's local to us. <laughs> Big Dong took it over. <laughs> yeah. Our local porn store was taken over by Big Dong. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it used to be called Priscilla's, and then they renamed it Cirilla's. No, like, it was, like a, it yeah. was called Cumbusters, no. <laughs> then Priscilla's, then Cirilla's. Like, was there some lawsuit that they had to lose the Priscilla's name, and they just, like, changed the letters around a little bit? I expect you to do a full case on They took all the letters, this. and they put them in a baggie, <laughs> jumbled it up, uh-huh. and then they came up with... Cirillas. Are you ready to do induction? I'm yet? sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. What are we doing? <laughs> Name and favorite cookie. Oh, okay. I wish somebody would have said that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sarah Stevens. Publix Bakery Heath Bar Cookies. Ooh. Can I just comment on the cookies as they're Sure. Ready? Do you think that's Willamine? Will um. I am. <laughs> Willamine Wit. Gewuldekoek. <laughs> It's a big round cookie filled with almond paste. One almond is placed on top in the middle, but if you are really lucky, there's two. The literal translation is filled cookie. Would say it one more time? I cannot. <laughs> Tracy B. Chocolate cookies with peanut butter chips. Ooh. Sarah Shunk. My best friend's grandma's lacy chocolate chip oatmeal cookies. Megan H. Sea salt chocolate chip cookies. Maggie Vokes. Chocolate crinkle cookies. Beth M. Molasses cookies. Hannah Harvey. Almond Joy cookies. Libby Queen. Oatmeal scotchies. Angel Rubber. G string. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, that's supposed to be her whole name. Yeah, okay. Angel Rubber G string. <laughs> Chocolate chip. <laughs> what? <laughs> Kiki. Just spoonfuls of Nutella. That's not a cookie. <laughs> Kristen, peanut butter chocolate chip. Danny Willits, homemade Neiman Marcus cookies. Wait, how can it be homemade? Uh, oh, so there's like a whole thing about this. Like, there's this internet. Oh, this like a recipe story for- about how this woman like went to Neiman Marcus, asked them for their recipe, and they ended up charging her like all of this money. And so then she posted the recipe on the internet so anybody could make it because she paid all this money for the oh, recipe. Shit. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but that's the internet story. Now I want to make them. Yeah. It's on the internet. It's got to be true. 
I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> Daria Lafave. White chocolate peanut butter clusters. Cheryl Morasis. Almond toffee cookies. Kelsey Clem. Unbaked chocolate chip cookie dough. Ooh. Olivia Riser. Unbaked Pillsbury Christmas sugar cookies. Oh, we have a theme. Mm. Mm. Courtney Corwin. I'm not a huge cookie fan. I would rather have cupcakes. We didn't ask. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Sam Roberts. Sorry, Courtney. I know you gave us money, but we don't care. (laughs) Chocolate chip. Raina Salas. Snickerdoodles for life. Welcome to the Supreme Court. I'm so sorry. Did you just rip all the cables out? I just... Punched all the cables. Let's do that one more time. Yeah. Yes. Welcome to the Supreme Court. I like how the second time we did it, you still flailed your arms about. Well, but you know, I kept him <laughs> in the cabin. It's like that scene in Forrest Gump where he goes up to talk about his time in Vietnam, and the lady pulls all the microphone mm-hmm. cords out. Kristen, it's a movie. <laughs> it's a uh, film. It's a 90s film, though, so Kristen may not like it. I'm not familiar. Kristen does not like 90s films. Thank you, everyone, for all of your support. We appreciate it so much. If you're looking for other ways to support us, please find us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Patreon. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And then head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review. And then be sure to join us next week. When we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast. Oh, fuck. (laughs) I got distracted. I'm sorry. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. I got my info from... Yes, you know. (laughs) Hang on. It's loading. Take it away, Normikins. I got my information from Eric Hinderaker's Boston's Massacre and from FamousTrials.com. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> I got my info from an article for True Crime Daily, articles for NBC29 News, articles by Lisa Province for Seville.com and Wikipedia. For a full list of our sources, visit LGTCPodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours. But please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. What happened? I don't know. My my mouth wouldn't move. My, 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 my mouth. This is episode 195. <laughs>